0: four three two one One.
1: hello ben hello what's up buddy there's a discrepancy my my coffee is way way bigger than yours Um, i've got like this this 40 ounce big gulp french press
0: yes um versus
1: the is that a caveman yeah cold brew nitros yeah those are pretty good too I Let's love pop a punch. Yeah. Dude, yeah. thank
0: you so much for the bread and the <laughs> macaroons and the goodies. Yeah, that's, that's Dude, awesome. I, awesome I stuff. Would, uh,
1: I would probably be morbidly obese if I wasn't an exercise freak. It seems but, like it. Uh, a- yeah, yeah. Jessa makes that sourdough bread, and it is. Freaking amazing!
0: Did you do that carnivore diet thing? Did you try that out?
1: No, you didn't. No, no. I like meat, but I didn't do the carnivore diet. I thought
0: you were gonna do it for a certain amount of time and test it. I
1: thought about it. I'm too much of a foodie. (laughs) I'm like, Uh what I did was I tried to eat ribeye steaks every night for dinner. Mm. So I did like a thirty three percent carnivore diet. But uh, there was a study actually that came out, it was just like two days ago on that TMAO, mm-hmm. the, the sugar that is associated with gut damage when you're eating a, a high red meat diet. Right. When your and, body takes
0: excess protein and it turns it into sugar.
1: Right. With theoretically the idea being that that might be present because your microbiome is imbalanced from a diet that's too heavy in meat. Is it a micro fiber?
0: It's, it's because of your biome? I thought it was just because of glucogenesis because you, your body has nothing but meat, your body turns it into glucose?
1: No, that that would be something different. That, oh, that, really? that conversion to glucose is a different sugar than the TMAO.
0: Oh. So what
1: the TMAO is, is that's going to be present if you aren't getting enough fiber or if your biome ah. isn't But what this study a couple of days looked at was people who were eating like a fish and egg and plant-rich diet, and they had high levels of TMAO2, but they weren't deleterious. They're because actually protective the because they had the fiber. Mm, yeah, and I mean, you could do... You could do a carnivore diet if you were, there's there's a few populations that do this, like in in Spain, I forget the name of the sausage, but they'll like eat the, they'll eat the ruminant, like they'll eat the the intestine of the ruminant Hmm. and get their grasses and their fibers and their plants literally by eating the stomach of the animal. But like a cat. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same issue with like, uh, you know, methionine, too much of the amino acid methionine from just eating red meat would be deleterious, but if you're getting glycine and some of these other amino acids, if you're eating like nose to tail, Mm. right? Bone marrow, bone broth, all the organ organ meats, you know, know. head cheese, Braunschweiger, just like all these different mixes of meats. I think that would be the way to do a carnivore diet. Yeah. There's a lot of
0: people that are proponents of that as well. And then there's a bunch of people that are, you know, it's interesting because you've got a, there's a disparity between the anecdotal accounts of health and well-being and then blood work. Yeah. The blood work these folks get is not impressive.
1: You Uh, mean the people on the carnivore? Yeah. Yeah. From
0: what I've seen. I haven't seen anything where I see all their inflammatory markers down, their testosterone up. I haven't seen anything where it's looking really good.
1: Yeah. High blood glucose is another thing that you
0: see. But I should say that there haven't been a lot of tests done. It's not like a lot of people are publishing stuff on it. But the anecdotal evidence is amazing. It's it's really weird. Like uh, my friend Jordan Peterson, he's had a tremendous success with it. Yeah. Lost a lot of body weight. He says he's in his intellectual prime. He said he's never felt better in terms of his energy levels. And that guy is, he is so rigid and disciplined with it. All he's eating is meat with salt on it and he drinks water. And that yeah, is Absolutely it.
1: Well, if you think about it, it's an elimination diet. Yes. right? It's like an autoimmune diet mm-hmm. where you can say, well, I, you know, I don't know what's giving me trouble. Soy or wheat or, or dairy or what have you. So I'm just going to stop eating all that stuff and switch to primarily meat. Yeah. The problem is that it's, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to call anybody out and, 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 and call them lazy, but it's almost like kind of a very easy, lazy-esque approach because rather than figuring out how to do, you know, like that, that sourdough bread, it's slow fermented, the rye and the wheat are in there, but all the phytic acid that would normally inhibit your ability to absorb minerals is pre-digested by the lactobacillus and all the bacteria in the wheat, so you've got a bread that's lower in a glycemic index, and it's it's more easily digested. Which some is of, why some both of the, rye and sourdough yeah, are more healthy, right? For you. And you put the rye in it because it lowers the glycemic index, and then you've got the um, uh, what's it called the uh, the uh, I, f- I forget the term. Uh, it's, it's like a gluten digesting enzyme that gets activated with the lactobacillus. So that's a smart bread. I mean, it takes freaking twenty four hours to it's it's not twenty four hours, but it's like fifteen minutes over twenty four hours that it takes to make it. That's an intelligent approach to food preparation. Right? That's the way that our ancestors or many of the blue zones would have treated their foods, fermenting, soaking, sprouting, slow food. And you can take a lot of these things that would result in, you know, you're talking about Jordan Peterson, I know his daughter does this as well, Michaela mm-hmm. Peterson. They use that elimination diet, you know, which is the carnivore diet, to clear up a lot of those autoimmune issues, but you could also just render food more digestible or switch to an elimination diet or an autoimmune diet for eight weeks or 12 weeks, something like the carnivore diet, heal the gut, and then return back to a more all-inclusive eating pattern that allows you to eat you know, dairy, wheat, plants, et cetera, all these things that would normally damage the gut if the gut is actually leaky
0: so what are the like uh, what what's the process like what is happening when they go on this very strict elimination diet and they're just eating meat like what is happening to their gut that allows them to have all these pretty pretty significant health benefits a lot of loss of weight increase of energy autoimmune issues like jordan had some um some pretty significant gum issues those all went away depression that went
1: away Bottom. right some of the some of the gum in the joint stuff might be just as much related to the fact that he's getting a shit ton of collagen mm-hmm. you know fiber or or not fiber but you know elastin and muscle fiber precursors he's getting a lot of protein Um, I don't know if he's eating bone broth and bone marrow, but maybe a lot of glycine and some of these other metabolites. So part of it could just be more fuel on board to repair muscles Mm. or to repair the joints. But then the other part of it is that when you eliminate inflammatory products that you're consuming, like let's say you're eating whatever, you know, wonder bread and commercial dairy or, or unfermented soy or any of these things that can actually damage the lining of the gut, you're creating an inflammatory scenario. And I know you're You're familiar with the gut-brain axis and how Mm -hmm. our our gut interacts with our nervous system via the vagus nerve. And when you have inflammation in the gut, that affects neural symptoms, it affects sleep, it affects intellectual performance. And then you've also got the autoimmune component. If you're actually truly allergic to or intolerant to some of those proteins that wind up in the bloodstream in the presence of a leaky gut, you know, plant proteins, uh, lectins are another one that a lot of people complain about, then you create almost like a full-body damage scenario. So the idea is you get rid of all that stuff, you introduce the carnivore diet, and I don't know that there's a lot of components of the carnivore diet that are actually healing the gut as much as it's the absence or elimination of the foods that were harming it.
0: Mm, interesting. The you know the the Bell brothers, Chris and Mark. Do you know those guys? Yeah. Yeah. Um, their take on it is basically they've never felt better, and you know these are guys that work out very heavily. The difference between them and Jordan is probably that, especially you know Mark is a gorilla. Yeah. You know he's powerlifting, and you know he's been doing that basically his whole life. These guys are. What their take on it is essentially, they're, at least the way they think, is that most people that are talking about diet, they really don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Even though you might be able to look at it on paper and you might have these ideas about what's beneficial or non-beneficial, some people are proponents of vegan diet, some people are proponents of you know, paleo. He's like, until you are actually physically doing something, until you are actually doing something with that diet, and then you report how much better you feel with the people that are actually training really hard, those are the ones you should rely on. And he's saying for him personally, he's never felt better, never been leaner.
1: Yeah, and a big part of it. I mean, this just returns to diet personalization and customization mm-hmm. as a whole. You know, we live in an era where you can self-quantify pretty easily with genetics and you can find out what ancestry you came from, what blood markers that you have, what your gut microbiome looks like. And uh, I don't think we talked about this on the last show, but there's this idea of eating according to your ancestry and the concept of what are called cold spots, like areas around the world where people have a genetic susceptibility to have certain diseases that they don't actually develop. Those diseases don't actually manifest because of their traditional diet. Like you look at like the Icelandic population that carries the genes that would render them More susceptible to something like depression or seasonal affective disorder, but their diet is very rich in omega three fatty acids and DHA, which we know can protect against those disorders. And and you take take the Icelandic population and you uproot them and put them in the context of a westernized diet, and all of a sudden, depression and SAD manifests. That's
0: interesting. Say
1: the same thing for like uh, Cameroon, Cameroon, Africa, higher than normal risk for colon cancer, but they're eating a diet that's, that's high in fiber. Why is it
0: higher than normal risk?
1: I don't know. It's a genetic susceptibility. But but the idea is that that population probably figured out at some point in human history that if they eat a lot of plants or they eat a lot of fiber, all of a sudden people don't have as many issues with their colon. Right. And then you take that same population again, strip out the fiber, put them on a westernized diet, and you get a large portion of the African-American population developing colon cancer.
0: That's um, crazy about the seasonal affective disorder and you got to wonder yeah. how would that affect people that live in Seattle, the Pacific Northwest that are dealing yeah. with constant rain. I wonder if that would have
1: some sort of an impact on them. Probably even more if you come from that population. I mean, I'm on the Spokane side, but right. you know, I'm I'm out in the middle of the forest. I get sun for maybe 10 to 2. You know, I'm on a north-facing slope and I work indoors a lot of the time. You know, I'm typing on my computer. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm blogging, and, and so I don't get a lot of sun exposure, but that's where, you know, all these newfangled light panels and head light devices and things come in that were actually developed for seasonal affective disorder that actually work pretty well just to keep your mood up. If you're working indoors, you don't get sunlight exposure.
0: Right, but Spokane is a different environment, right? You're not dealing with the constant rain that they're dealing no. with on the actual coast.
1: No, the precipitation builds up. On the on the mountains and then dumps back on in Seattle
0: yeah I mean Spokane it still must be you must get much more than you get in California or Southern California at least but uh, it's it's supposed to be very beautiful out
1: there it's it's gorgeous so I'm about 25 minutes from Coeur d'Alene. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's so supposed to be a, amazing. I've never Coeur been. Coeur d'Alene's beautiful. I used to go over there and race the Ironman, and they, they'd they have that in Lake Coeur d'Alene. It's an iconic race just because, I mean, the, the mountains, the lake, everything is just gorgeous.
0: I saw pictures yeah. of the lake where people were taking photographs of the bottom of the lake, like from 100 feet, 100 feet deep of water. You could see the bottom of the lake. It's that clear. Yeah. Like yeah. That is insane. But it's
1: kind of funny because it's actually polluted because of all the mines that they have around there. Like really? there's a lot of metals in it because the Coeur d'Alene feeds into the Spokane river and uh-huh. your, your allotment of fish that you're supposed to eat from the Spokane river is like one a year. Why? Like, like it's that high in metals. So, I mean, I, I don't eat any, I don't want, I don't choose. A no and go kidding. Down there and, That's awful. Yeah. Yeah. God
0: damn it. Yeah. That, but that... it's
1: a beautiful lake. I mean, it's.
0: But what is the allotment of fish that you're supposed to eat from the lake? Is it similar?
1: I, I don't know. I don't know. But if I, if I went to Coeur d'Alene and I spent a lot of time swimming there, I'd probably spend some time in the infrared sauna, too. Oh. Spend some of those metals out. So, Let me ask you this. Yeah. What's the
0: benefit of infrared sauna versus traditional sauna? Is there a benefit?
1: So the, the idea is it's cooler. You, know, I, you have an infrared here? No. Yeah. Regular. So you walk into the infrared, it's like 155 to 158 degrees, most of them. There's mm-hmm. a couple that will go up to like 170. Even though the air is cooler, the actual photons of light – that are being released by the panels. You're you're surrounded by infrared panels while you're in there. Those penetrate more deeply into tissue, so you wind up getting a deeper sweat. You sweat for a longer time. You can stay in there longer because it's not quite as hot. But it, you look at like the studies out of Finland, mm-hmm. right? These these studies that show four to five year lifespan increases from a from a weekly sauna protocol of, you know, I think it's like four times a week for 20 to 30 minutes, uh, and the, and the significant drop in dementia and Alzheimer's and a lot of these, these mortality risk factors. And you look at the studies that have been done in athletes where you get almost an erythropoietin, like, like a blood doping effect from sauna exposure when done post-workout, right? You Mm. stay in there for 20 to 30 minutes post-workout. All of these were done in a dry sauna.
0: Yeah, that's but, why I use a dry sauna yeah. uh, as per Rhonda Patrick's recommendation. I yeah. just got that because she said there's no real studies like that on an infrared.
1: There's a few metal, that, so they, they've analyzed metal and detoxification in some of these infrared saunas, and they have found that you, that you release more through your sweat. You get a deeper sweat. So if your goal is something like detoxification, then but how theoretically, is that even
0: possible? Like out. when I'm in that, I'm fucking drenched. Like how uh, could I get
1: more uh, out of that? Have you tried like a like tried like a thirty minute infrared versus a yeah, thirty minute drive? I
0: have. Um, yeah. I, I'm an idiot, so uh, I don't feel like I'm suffering as much, so I don't like it.
1: <laughs> when you're in the infrared, you don't feel like you're suffering exactly. As much. Yeah. See, that's the thing is, and and maybe I'm jaded because when I'm in my infrared, like I've got a I've got a kettlebell in there, I've put my bike in there, oh, I got okay. yoga in there. When I go in there at night. Actually, like I was telling you, we were talking about those, those massage devices, those they, they have out there. Yeah. So yeah, right. The, the yeah. so-ass ones that are like a. PSO, frickin, RIT. They're like a shiv in your abs. Love those things. But, but they open up your, yeah. your cell. they open up. you, mean, you can work them out on a lot of different body parts. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, so I'll have stuff like that in there and occasionally do body work. But I actually move. I exercise in the sauna. There's actually so a
0: sauna that's designed well. for that. What the fuck is that called again? There's a, yeah. a specific sauna that a lot of uh, UFC guys they're, are using. They're in
1: Vegas. Yeah, and um, they're
0: building them in gyms. I know uh, Winklejohn's gym, Mike um It's Jackson. got like a TV gym.
1: panel in there.
0: Yeah, yeah. They yeah. have televisions in yeah. there so you can even watch things, mm-hmm. like watch like uh, directionals or uh, watch some sort of uh, instructional video on exercise. Science. Yeah, that's
1: what I think they're doing is they're trying to have you do your workout like you look at a screen in yeah. the sauna and you do your workout while you're looking at the screen. I think, I think it's
0: the a sauna. fit spa. I think it's called fit yeah. spa, something like that. Yeah. But the, um, the, the the hot one that I go into, I mean, I, I sweat so much. I, I have a hard time believing I would sweat more anywhere else. I mean, I'm literally pouring sweat. And I keep that fucker around 190
1: degrees. Yeah,
0: so I'm I'm really feeling, it, but I it, love it. In an it.
1: ideal scenario, I would like it. I don't have a dry sauna, but I would like to get a barrel sauna because I have the the infrared in my basement. It's one of those big ones, like the four person infrared sauna that mm. that you can get into an exercise. You can you can yoga you know, have more people in yeah. there. You know, do yoga whatnot. And I'm you know I'm six two, but I can get into like a full down dog or get into mm. a lunge or whatever. But I'd love to have a dry sauna as well. What is a barrel, a barrel sauna? A barrel sauna is a it's like a big barrel. You've probably seen them before. They're um I don't think so. They got benches on either side. They're shaped like a like a cylinder. Uh they're 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 very popular. They build up a lot of heat. I think even the shape of the barrel somehow allows the heat to be distributed more evenly through the sauna or something like that. Hmm. You know, almost almost like a Traeger grill. Mm. for example okay so this but, is it uh, yeah uh-huh. yeah so that's that's this what the barrel like song smoker. looks like yeah so i've got uh, what i did was that's i bought cool one looking. of those um those endless pools that you swim against
0: jamie go to that one in the upper right hand corner with the bubble on the outside of it that looks fucking awesome yeah you keep that sucker in your backyard i was at
1: a guy's house in santa monica well, a couple weeks ago that's so I
0: cool look yeah. at that thing yeah and it heats up the same way there's some sort of a power source yeah. attached to that yeah it's the same uh, thing that's pretty badass
1: yeah. See, I want to get one of those and just put it out in the forest so I can look out with the Cedar
0: view. Cedar barrel sauna. Yeah, it looks fucking cool. Yeah. 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 Especially if you were in like a cold area and you could like like that. Look at that guy's mm-hmm. got it
1: set up looking over a lake. You could look oh, out into the snow.
0: Serene.
1: Yeah. That's pretty. Oh, yeah. Pretty. It's like a pastoral scene. Yeah, do you man, get in the, in the cryo after you do the sauna? You I do sometimes,
0: uh, but most days, no. Most days I do either or. Yesterday I did cryo. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I've I've been doing cryo every day because I'm staying down at the Hilton, and they have a, a cryotherapy chamber there. Oh, nice! And I'm a bigger fan of the cold water. Wait a minute, the Hilton the has a immersion. cryotherapy. Yeah, chamber? they've got a cryotherapy chamber. They've got they've got they a bunch of. Works uh, it? They have like this thing called Upgrade Labs in like the basement of this uh, this Hilton. And really? They've got like a cryo? They've got an infrared sauna. They've got. So, I've just been going down there every day and, and working out. My workout this morning, actually, I did this machine. They've got a machine called a, a Vasper. Have you seen this before? No. You put like, it's got cold cuffs. You, you know, katsu training, like blood flow restriction mm-hmm. training, right? Yeah. So, you put cold cuffs on your arms, and then you put cold cuffs on your legs. And increase the millimeters of mercury until you basically you get less blood flow to your arms and your legs. And then it's one of these full-body exercise devices, right? So you're moving your arms and your legs like an elliptical trainer. Mm-hmm. You're barefoot, and the whole thing is cold. So it's pumping cold water through the blood pressure cuffs on your arms and your legs. And then it's got cold water back behind you on the – Here it uh, is right here. We're watching yeah, this uh, – yeah. And, and by the way, this, this thing is not going to make you an athlete. Like that's not the purpose of, uh, of something like, this. what is it's the purpose of it? Just general fitness. You know, you're, you're getting cold. And when you take off the blood pressure cuffs, what happens is you've got a bunch of lactic acid trapped in the muscle as you're, as you're moving. And typically you're doing like 30 seconds as hard as you can go. So you might go, I mean, pretty heavy wattage, like 600, 800 Watts for 15 to 30 seconds. And then you recover. And when you finish and you take those cuffs off, you get this amplification in growth hormone, testosterone, and based on some of the research they're talking about now, stem cell mobilization. Really? So that, and it's like this this super quick twenty one minute workout. I actually want to get one for my house.
0: And how long um, is the amplification of testosterone and growth hormone and all that stuff? Like I don't how know. long does it last for?
1: I don't know. I mean in in many cases, I mean it's like a lot of things that affect testosterone or growth hormone or inflammation generally it's like a 24 to 48 hour cycle. You know, it's like weed. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we know that weed suppresses testosterone, but it's not chronic. It's a, it's a temporary 24 hour drop in testosterone. Does it really yeah.
0: suppress testosterone? It does. It I does. didn't know about that.
1: Yeah. Although a lot, a that? lot of the studies on, on marijuana, they're using pretty high dosage and they're using rodent models. They're using like a hundred to 200 milligrams in rodent wow, models. A rodent? And showing. Yeah, yeah. And they're <laughs> showing, or, or I'm, I'm sorry. What would be the equivalent of 100 to 200 milligrams in a human on a rodent model? You know, a lot of of the studies on supplementation, same thing with TBI and concussion. You know, you hear about DHA Mm -hmm. and fish oil for that, but you need to take a lot of fish oil, a lot of DHA. Like if you extrapolate from the rodent models, you're looking at like 50 to 60 grams of DHA or fish oil to manage like TBI or concussion, which is, it's a lot of DHA, but... If you were going to use like a multimodal approach to mm. to TBI or to, or to Alzheimer's or dementia, right? I mean, I'm a I'm a huge fan of that. I'm a fan of of like hyperbaric oxygen therapy, um, ketosis definitely works. Uh, the, these these light devices that you wear on your head now, they've got a lot of research coming out on something called photobiomodulation for TBI, and these things produce. Uh, hertz frequencies, 10 to 40 hertz range. You place them on your head. Typically, there's like a probe that goes into your nose. And they've got new research coming out on this for restoring blood flow to the head, increasing your alpha brainwave production, your gamma brainwave production, very cool devices. Um,
0: So what uh, what does a probe up your nose do? uh, It
1: it delivers a, a wavelength of light that is supposed to activate part of the mitochondria It's called cytochrome C oxidase. And when you activate that, you get increased mitochondrial activity. You get increased blood flow. You get increased production of nitric oxide. And this kind of returns to what I was talking about with seasonal affective disorder, where you can use a lot of of these new things that are designed to deliver infrared light or light to the body to increase mitochondrial density or to increase blood flow or to increase nitric oxide. And people are now using this for TBI and concussion and stem cells as well. They've got a... Actually, last time I was on the show, we were talking about how when I got that concussion in Austin, Mm -hmm. I did a self-administered infusion of sugar alcohols. I used mannitol, and then I followed that up with stem cells because I had my stem cells stored down in Florida and also in this lab called Forever Labs in Berkeley. And I followed that up. I chased it with a stem cell injection because... When you inject sugar alcohol into your bloodstream, it renders your blood brain barrier more permeable, and then the stem cells can cross over through the blood brain barrier.
0: Whoa. But whoa, now, whoa, wait a minute, hold on, slow down. So, this, you, you're, how you, what are you doing with sugar alcohol? How are you administering it?
1: Intravenously. In an um, in intravenous uh, mannitol solution of you're sugar. you doing alcohol. this yourself? I do this myself, but you could get this done by a doctor. It's
0: and a doctor. when you're doing it, like- I, re- I recommend
1: you-, you get it done by it a doctor. It
0: sounds like yeah. a good idea to do. Yeah. Now, what, what kind of dosage are you using?
1: Of manitol? Yes. I don't remember. It, it, was, it was what I was advised to do by the doc who, who taught me this protocol. So I don't remember how much it was, but it, it was- it you're was like setting a, it was up was like own a, IV. It's like a vial. Yeah. Okay. I do, I do the same thing with NAD every week. I do a, a weekly NAD injection. Every and week? It's a Yeah. Do yeah, you do a push NAD a, a, that takes 10 minutes? push or... IV. 10 minutes okay. is pushing it. Yeah. Um, it hurt. I mean, so normally, if you were to get 500 to 1,000 milligrams of NAD, most people will sit under a four to a six-hour drip IV to do that. Mm-hmm. And one reason for that that, that they say is that, that you get less of it degraded by the liver and the kidneys and the gut as the NAD goes into the body. A push. But I think a, I think that the bigger factor is simply the fact that when you do a push, like you're nauseous, you feel like your whole body's on fire. I mean, you, f- you feel like Superman afterwards, but it's a very, very uncomfortable IV, and I don't want anybody pushing that in except me. Like I want to be in charge of the trigger when I'm putting that thing in because I got to stop and go and stop and go. But it's, it's, it's quicker. It's more convenient than sitting down and doing an IV. So a push, you would actually have a nurse actually pushing
0: down on the button as things are going
1: yeah yeah exactly and in intermittent intervals uh i do about two like two ticks on the syringe at a time because it's a 30 ml syringe so I'll go like two CCs, then stop, and you could feel like your heart rate go up, and you get nauseous, and and your skin kind of flushes a little bit, huh. and you breathe it off. Then you wait like ten, fifteen seconds, and you do another push. Kyle Kingsbury right was through. saying it felt like his guts were on fire. Yeah, Kyle, I think is a champ. I think yeah. he did it in like five minutes or something like that. <laughs> that sounds which like is Kyle. like like for me if I if I can do it in ten minutes then you know, I've, it, it's it's absolutely mind-blowing in mm. terms of how hard that is. So really? I don't know how he did it in five minutes. But, well, he's a savage. You know, it's interesting, though. I, I started to listen to your podcast with David Sinclair mm. on the on the car ride over, and he's talking about this NMN stuff, mm-hmm. which supposedly when orally administered simulates a lot of what NR, nicotinamide riboside, which is one thing that a lot of people are taking for anti-aging, and NAD, which is what we were just talking about, administered via either... In most cases, it's IV. There's a couple companies doing like an oral NAD version, but supposedly NMN. Uh, I don't know if Sinclair has any human studies coming out on this right now, but he or or at least released. But he's done rodent studies and shown that it's like exercise in a bottle. Mm. The NAD, from what I understand though, and this returns to the TBI concussion piece, crosses the blood-brain barrier easily or more easily than NMN or NR. So if you were doing it for like a cognitive or a neurological effect, you may want to choose NAD. Sounds to me like from the research I've seen, if you were doing it for the exercise effect, maybe you'd choose NMN or NR. Mm, interesting. The, so the maybe anti-aging effect, I mean, they don't even know in many cases how, all the pathways on which these things are working, but most of them are related to these sirtuin pathways, right? Like sirtuin activating compounds that actually allow your mitochondria to repair more quickly or give your body more antioxidants, so the idea is they probably all have a pretty good effect on anti-aging.
0: And when you're doing it, are you pushing yourself? You say you're doing it once a week. Are you doing yeah. it yourself? Are you pushing it? The IV?
1: Yeah. yeah. And how, yeah. how
0: much time do yeah. you give yourself?
1: To actually do the NAD? Yeah. yeah. If I've got 20 minutes, I'm happy. Like If, if I have to compress into 10 minutes, it, it hurts. Like mm-hmm. I, I like to at least allow for 20 minutes and then... Uh, You follow it up in most cases with like an IV cocktail, like a, like a Myers cocktail, vitamin cocktail. Mm, And supposedly, supposedly that it does a few things. Supposedly it enhances your stem cell mobilization or the, or the activity of stem cells and allows the ND to be absorbed into the cells more easily. Mm. So you, you basically, I mean, the way I do it is I use it like just a butterfly needle. And you do the NAD administration, and then you just unscrew the, the end of the, the butterfly needle line, and then you put the vitamin cocktail in and follow up with vitamin cocktail, which takes like 30 to 60 seconds, and then you're mm. done.
0: And why do you do it once a week? Do you feel good? No, but why, why uh, once a week? Why not twice a week? Why? The idea why is
1: you're, you're supposed to maintain your levels. And there's even some evidence, and, and it, you know this is kind of similar to testosterone, that long-term use may suppress your body's own NAD production.
0: So oh, if you're really? going to
1: start to do it, great, but you may want to realize that this is something you'd need to do regularly, mm. like to keep your levels elevated, because you may get like a down-regulation effect.
0: Oh, interesting. So, so your body yeah. might recognize that there, it has an, a surplus It's, got, it's got a lot of NAD. Mm. It doesn't
1: need to make more. One of the uh, one of the very interesting things, though, I did a couple of weeks ago was I went to New York City, and I got NAD from this doctor. Uh, Dr. Chen over there, but then he infused me with uh, CoQ10 Hmm. and a bunch of other vitamins to allow my body to make more of what are called adult pluripotent stem cells. They're also known as V cells, very small embryonic-like cells. Now, if you've heard of uh, parabiosis before, this idea of taking the blood from young mice and transferring that into old mice, there was research that they did at Stanford University on this, you impart essentially enhanced longevity to the old mice the idea is that's a that's a non-autologous transfer right like that's that's the transfer of of blood from a from a young healthy donor into an older recipient and there are companies now in silicon valley doing this like the young blood institute Mm -hmm. you know for like eight thousand dollars this company called ambrosia will will give you the plasma from a young healthy donor
0: is there any evidence that that does anything good for you though other than the studies that they've done on mice
1: uh, I don't know of any studies on humans. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm no. saying. No. But is there
0: anecdotal evidence? I mean, have people that you uh, know have done it?
1: Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm about to, to get into that. You're going to so, do it. Uh, but you, but no, you haven't. No, yeah. I, I did yeah. an autologous version of that. So I, d- I didn't want to put somebody else's blood so you did into my own? body. So what I did was I had this doc take out a pint of my blood. And what happens is if you've put all these vitamins like NAD and stuff into your blood, it increases your stem cell production. If you stress the blood after that, it dumps out a bunch of these tiny little adult pluripotent stem cells, which is exactly the same type of cell that you're getting when you do one of these young blood transfers. Hmm. So he stresses that overnight in cold. You can use cold, you could use pressure, you could use anything to, to increase the stem cell release from the blood cells. But they get stressed out, they release stem cells, and then what happens is you get them injected back into your body So afterwards. is this
0: similar to like what they're doing with Regenacaine? I don't think it's anything like that. Well, you know, no. Regenikine, they take the blood yeah. out and they stress it with heat, yeah. and then they spin it yeah. in a centrifuge. Yeah. And then- but I
1: think, I think, and and I don't know a lot about what Regenikine is doing, but I think they're more concentrating the growth factors. I think they might be doing exosomes. I know they've got some overseas places where they're doing like a culture expanded or something like that. But as far as in the U.S., Like this this protocol is one of the few that I know of where you could take your own blood and get a lot of that same stuff that you'd get from culture expanded or from parabiosis, like using the blood of somebody else, and you get all these stem cells released into your body. So you essentially
0: get the same effect as you would if you took young person's blood. If you did a young
1: blood transfer.
0: And the young blood transfer, they're not transferring the entire body's supply of blood no, they're, 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 they're they... taking
1: they're taking a bunch of plasma i don't know the volume that they're using in my case they took a pint of my blood so four right four sixty cc tubes
0: now is there any anecdotal evidence or any published oh. evidence on your style the, what you're trying to do and, and the benefits of it
1: no, no just n equals one i just felt like a million bucks afterwards yeah the um the other one that i did that worked very well on my knee because I have some meniscus issues on my left knee, mm-hmm. was I did what's called a nerve hydrodissection. Have you heard of this before? No. Hydrodissection is a protocol where they take uh, like a liquid and they use the liquid to act like the scalpel or the knife that a surgeon would use to kind of remove adhesions like scar tissue adhesions or separate a nerve that's causing pain or discomforts or lack of mobility in a certain joint. But when they do a nerve hydrodissection, they don't have to use like, you know, something like they'd use in prolotherapy, like sugar water mm-hmm. or regular water. Uh, what I had done, and this was at a clinic called BioReset in, uh, in San Jose with Dr. Matt Cook down there. He went in and did a nerve hydrodissection, and he used ozone and a, a placental cell It wasn't like a culture expanded placental cell, which is what I understand to be illegal in the U S but just like a regular placental extract. He did that into my knee and my knee went from like 25% to a hundred percent in a couple of weeks. And really? that, that protocol was called nerve hydrodissection. They use ultrasound imaging to, to basically visualize where the needle is going into the knee. They identify the area where the adhesion or the scar tissue is. They inject it right there. And then, that, I mean, it's like a, 10-minute-long procedure.
0: Now, this is for only a buildup of adhesion and scar tissue? What about for people that, you know, might well, need it was a scoping?
1: Yeah, it was developed for nerve pain.
0: Hmm. And
1: what they found was that it actually seems to cause some kind of a release of the scar tissue, followed by an increase in the blood flow, which is difficult to get in some areas of the knee. Right, especially the so, viscous. So, yeah, I mean, I would— I, if I ever get to the point where somebody wants to sculpt my knee or something like that, I would, I would definitely consider doing that treatment first because hmm. it worked very well, and it was just quick and easy.
0: I had a meniscus issue, and I got exosome shot into there. I've had it done three times yeah. now, and uh, every time I've done it, I've experienced a, a good benefit from it, but then I beat the shit out of it, and I think I gave it not enough time to heal up. Before yeah. I started pounding again, I would give it like a week off, then start running again. Yeah. But now I'm going to give it a full six weeks with uh, no pounding, no running hills, nothing crazy. And I've experienced just in the two weeks since the procedure, a very significant decrease in pain, no inflammation, decrease in discomfort. I have to like try to make it feel weird now. Yeah. I have to like go out of my way. And it seems like every week that's more and more difficult to do and the range of motions increased. I basically can go all the way down with my ass to my ankles, no problem. You know, I bend all the way down and back all the way up with no discomfort, no weirdness.
1: Yeah, I kind of question the one thing, because I've asked myself this before, and I don't know if you have, like when you get a protocol like that done mm-hmm. and you kind of go easy on your knee because you really want it to work and yeah. you start backing off of some of that stuff you were doing anyways, how much of it is you just backing off of what you were doing and how much of it is the exosomes and the well, stem cells? I know else?
0: because I did try to back off initially and it didn't right. have any yeah, impact so you compared. at all. Yeah, when I, when I backed off initially with nothing, I said, let me just take some time off and let it see if I can let it heal up. Didn't yeah. do shit. It just, yeah. it stayed exactly the same. Like it was just hurt. You know, like, so it was one of those things where in the past, I would have had to just deal with it. Yeah. Like, now this is my new world. This is my new feeling in my knee until I get it scoped. Yeah. So yeah. it's pretty significant, the impact that it's had. I mean, I'm a, a giant believer in stem cells and exosomes. I had a full-length rotator cuff tear in my right shoulder, and now it's gone. It's gone. Like, it doesn't exist anymore. And really? Dr. Rodney McGee out of Vegas, go, you know, he yeah looked at the... uh the MRI and he said to me he goes, "Do you know how fucking crazy that is? Like you had a tear in your rotator cuff and now there's no tear." Yeah. Like it's regenerated tissue.
1: It's crazy. Which is the
0: ultimate goal, right? I mean, now I have zero pain in this shoulder. I mean, nothing. Did you do, it like did you not peptides for long? I did peptides. I did uh what is it BPC 157? Yeah, that well BPC
1: 157. That that's the only one that's that's still legal, mm-hmm. according to USADA and WADA, for athletes to use. And that one decreases inflammation and increases blood flow. Mm-hmm. And then the other one, the one that, that's not allowed anymore, is TB500, thymosin beta 500. And that one repairs the actin and the myosin fibers. Mm. And so in a, in a gold standard protocol, you go back and forth between the two. For we like so used to
0: switch it up one one you day, just, yeah, one the next day. Yeah, you just like
1: inject subcutaneously near the side of injury. Mm-hmm. And That works for a lot of people, but peptides are weird. Like I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm attending all these anti aging and longevity conferences now because I want to learn a lot more about this. I'm mm-hmm. almost kind of, I'm kind of starting to pivot from just pure human performance to how can you how can you live a long time.
0: Mm-hmm. And you should talk to Sinclair.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I want to finish listening to your interview with him because yeah, I was he's intrigued. A driving over. guy. Yeah. So the. Um, The idea is that these peptides are talked about a lot now in these anti-aging circles. Like they've got weird names like, like epitalon is one. And two times a year, like a 10 to 20-day injection protocol of epitalon, they're getting a bunch of increased mitochondrial density, decreased markers of aging, uh, increased fat loss, increased muscle gain. And they've done that in humans. Hmm. And so, again, it's just a peptide. It's very easy. Like you, you would inject it next to your abdominals subcutaneously. There's another one. No side th- effects. This one, uh, not with that one, but this one called Melanotan. Have you heard of it before? No. So I was intrigued by this. Somebody was telling me about it. It's a it's a peptide, and it was used in the bodybuilding industry for a long time because when you inject it, it gives you uh, like this amazing tan. And <laughs> they call it Melanotan. It stimulates your melanin. Is production. that that lady
0: that was on that fucking show that was turning black? She believed that she but, was. Yeah. The, In the wrong skin, so she was shooting something into her body, and she got black like
1: Congo black. Well, I, I, I tried it out. <laughs> I tried it out for about a week. Did you try to get black? N- no, I didn't try to get black. What I, just if it wa- stuck? I just wanted to see what happened to the tan. I started to get some freckles, but the side effect of this is you get massive boners that last a really annoyingly long time. Oh, uh, so poor you, baby! Like, like you can't. <laughs> no, but people will use this as like almost like like a, an ED type yeah, of drug, right? But it, and I don't even know the mechanism of action. Like Do you, I, I don't know how it's even working. Well, it's giving but, you a black. Text. So basically, you get it. Yeah, you get a tan and boners. Yeah, this is, what it yeah. is. <laughs> Look at her. I don't. Uh, no, that's not how you would administer <laughs> Milano tan. She's is, she's doing? Some kind of like a volume she might have filler. Done something else. What but, is that yeah.
0: thing that she's doing with a syringe? What the? F- that looks like a caulking gun. Like Might what it is she be doing? For a picture, I don't know. Yeah, that bitch. Isn't is crazy. that the
1: type of thing like the Kardashians are doing to their ass cheeks, like like <sighs> the fillers? I don't know what they're doing
0: to their yeah. ass cheeks. They're they're doing something that seems like well, it's very popular with the young people these days. They're taking fat out of certain parts of their body and putting it in their ass, right? Mm. It's not. I, I don't. Let's. We should find out That's how are they getting diaper butt. Just Google how are women today. How are Instagram models getting diaper butt? I'm curious. Because that's what it is. It's what they're you have using those their own, skinny So legs. they're taking
1: their fat from somewhere else in their body. Yes. And injecting that.
0: I know that some people do that. We should do that some for our calves. Do that way.
1: We could start an Instagram calf channel.
0: No. I don't want fat calves
1: where they jiggle when mm-hmm. you walk like a girl's butt. Well, he's pulling that up. What kind of coffee is this? Uh, this is Black Rifle coffee. It's good. Yeah, it's like good it. stuff. Yeah. I. Uh, I, fi- I figured out something. Uh, thank you, by the way, for hooking me up with Traeger. Oh, nice no so It's Great, I got, right? I got one of those Traeger Timber lines. Those are the and, shit. And uh, I've been making a coffee rub for the steak. Ah, you ever done a coffee rub before? Yes, I have. Yeah, Traeger it, has their own coffee rub. Yeah, well, they they have their own. I love you, Traeger, but they, I, I sometimes never know what all is in some of these spices and rubs. You know, they'll mm-hmm. add sometimes you know maltodextrin, or sugar, and stuff. Yeah, there's so. some sugar in there. So I fine Tastes grind, I fine grind coffee, and I mix that with black cona salt, cayenne Ooh. pepper, and paprika. And you can just make that rub as thick as you want, put that on the ribeye, and I've almost switched completely from doing my, my stovetop sear, followed by the quick broil on either side, to doing like a one and a half to two hour smoke in the Traeger mm-hmm. with that coffee rub on, and then just finishing it on the grill with the Traeger.
0: Yeah, I did a, uh, a uh, what, what would you call it, a prime rib. You know, like, so it's that, you know, it's basically ribeye roast. Yeah. And I did one on the Traeger and I cooked it for like four hours at 220 degrees. Holy shit. You, <sighs> you
1: smoked it? Yeah. For four
0: hours? Yes. Yes. And uh, it had, I Wait, used does the Traeger's s- prime rib rub. Does the Traeger, smoke? Does yes, the Traeger sure? smoke at that temperature? Yeah, you well, know, there's a super smoke setting at 225 and below. Okay. You press the super smoke button and it constantly infuses this pump of smoke. Like, yeah. over,
1: it, like it's like... I've never oh. tried super smoke at that high of a temperature. Oh, good Lord. It's good,
0: delicious. Dude. And the, but the Traeger prime rib rub, I know it has sugar in it. It tastes too delicious to not. But holy yeah. shit, when it's in there for three and a half, four hours, and it has that crust on it. There's
1: some about that long smoke. Have you tried a beer can chicken yes. on that thing at all? Yes. Beer can chicken. So I've, I've, I've tried a bunch of different rubs on that, but just, just coarse salt and black pepper works fine for the beer can chicken. You empty about half of the beer can out. You open up the beer can, but then you poke a couple extra holes in the top so you get mm. more of the steam. So the inside of the chicken gets even more moist. But then what I figured out is if you use like a little little scalpel or exacto knife and you cut open the skin of the chicken around the outside a little bit, mm. and you stuff that with pads of butter, and then you do your smoke oh. with the pads of butter inside the chicken, the the skin gets crispy, like oh. super crispy. And so you just it's like I think it's like an hour, an hour and a half. You cook that one and you can't you can't smoke that one very successfully like you want to run the grill with the smoke on but you can't super smoke it it mm. doesn't seem to work so well but that beer can chicken that's freaking amazing
0: yeah whoever but, figured that out whatever drunk yeah. figured that out is yeah. a goddamn genius it i works. know what
1: i'm gonna do it works but i've wondered before if there are other things that will work even better than beer what do you got jamie it says in most cases what i'm finding <clears throat> is either brazilian butt lift Or just like a fat graft or fat injection. Mm -hmm. But there have been cases where I'm seeing that they had to get an injection taken out within weeks because it was causing a problem. So, like, I don't know if that was just fat. Well, you got the fat put in and you have to get it taken back out? (sighs) Yeah, because they were were dying. That'd be a bummer. Uh. Great.
0: And then you have this fucking war zone of an ass. But yeah, most yeah. of it is lipo yeah. from one <laughs> it's gotta, part. It's
1: got to leave some marks. Like a Syrian... <laughs> a few pox. Airstrip. Yeah. Yeah, boom, no more no boom. more G-string. Yeah. Um,
0: 32 people died, supposedly, in 2017 from... Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, that's like the same yeah. amount of people that died from coconuts falling on their head. That's yeah. a fucking ridiculous way to die. You know, and here's the thing. the What they're doing is not aesthetically pleasing because... It violates your sensibilities because you look at the ass and you look at the legs and you go, "What's wrong here? How did you get that ass with those legs? They don't go together." Like if you look at like a CrossFitter's legs, like mm-hmm. one of them powerful gals mm-hmm. with a big butt, but they also especially have especially with those knee high neon compression socks, Ooh, Ooh, la, la. Look at you, <laughs> it looks right. It fits like if the ass yeah. fits the thigh. It's when not the,
1: entirely disproportionate.
0: Yes, when the ass pumps out and then it goes to these little toothpick legs, you're like, "That's gross. That's weird." You know, like it's what's going possible on there? that's that a real ass. In See, the that's advent a real ass. of
1: Instagram, we may be evolving as a species to find these type of things more attractive, though, because that's the whole idea with social media is you get a dopamine hit every time you click on the little blue notification button. Or you, you look at a new photo. So maybe we're just going to eventually develop a, a real appreciation for that type of symmetry. No. And we'll redefine our idea no. No. of what true human symmetry is.
0: <clears throat> incorrect. Yeah. It doesn't look as good. It just doesn't look as good. It's a, yeah. it's a cheap fix for yeah. squats.
1: Yeah. Get your yeah. ass to the gym, girls. Do some deadlifts. Um, Run up so, hills. Uh, all right. So squats and muscle building uh, did you see that Rhonda Patrick tweeted that study about mice and myonuclei, and how when they when they dope mice, they actually they they never actually lose the muscle's myonuclei. Yes. like, like those don't actually ever disappear. Like, not, not you, even just when you dope, but just when when you lift. Period. Muscle memory like, essentially, yeah, which yeah, we've already
0: known. Right. Built-in muscle
1: memory. Yeah. But
0: muscle memory has always been sort of
1: an anecdotal idea. Well, muscle memory has been in many cases just based on uh, motor unit recruitment. Like meaning like you know like like my wife, she ran for University of Idaho. And when I go out running with her still, even though she doesn't train, she's just got faster leg turnover. She's got better form. Like, her body just remembers that. The same thing with a swimmer, right? I'll, I'll do a triathlon. Somebody who swam in college but hasn't swam in 10 years will kick my ass just because they have that muscle memory yeah. in terms of which, which motor units to recruit when. Sure. But this latest one... Was basically the idea that you retain actual myonuclei in the muscle like they thought for a long time that those just disappeared and and went away once you detrained but it turns out that they're all still there so as soon as you start training again, you build muscle more quickly and furthermore and and this was kind of like the political part of it is if you've done some kind of, you know, illegal performance enhancing procedure or steroids or doped or whatever, you actually would have a higher concentration of micronuclei or myonuclei available. And there there was a study even leading up to that, and this was I think this was like 2013, like this was a while ago, where they took mice and they gave one group testosterone and the other group didn't get it. And then they spent six months off testosterone. I don't remember how long they were on it, but they spent six months off it and then they took those mice and they trained them with the training protocol. And the mice that were on the testosterone but were no longer on it had a 30% increase in muscle mass compared to the other mice that only had a 5% increase on it. So once again, and this was probably related to that myonuclei thing that just came out in this recent study. So it turns out that A, you should you should lift like when you're young, because you can build all these myonuclei that just basically hang around your body. And then B, when they like ban somebody from sport for doping, and then they come back and start to compete in that sport again, they still have an advantage.
0: Mm, well, that that has huge implications for MMA because yeah. that's the big debate right now. How long should someone get suspended for, and for how long, you know, how long afterwards should they be considered enhanced? yeah you know, like like the, they're giving people some pretty significant suspensions now for steroids like two years, but you know there's this John Jones case that I'm sure you're aware of. do you wear yeah. this yeah. yeah, where he's testing positive for the metabolite for the, a long term metabolite for a very small dose. He's never tested positive for a short term metabolite which, for testosterone no, it's not testosterone it's um what is the stuff Tynibol, yeah hmm. and Essentially, it's a tainted supplement, and it's not. It doesn't have any performance-enhancing benefit in terms of like the, the the amount of the dosage that he's tested positive for. But it's lingering in his system because the protocols for, um, the, well, their ability rather to detect these metabolites has increased rapidly. Yeah. I and mean, over the last year, it's it's just unbelievably more sensitive, to the point where you know they're detecting these. E- infinitesimally small levels of these metabolites and there's also seems to be some sort of a pulsing effect where yeah. your body releases these infinitesimally small metabolites and then doesn't, so you'll test negative and then the next week you'll test positive, but only for the long term metabolite, which is an indication that there's no re administration of the performance enhancing drug. Yeah. So it's real it's yeah. it's and everybody's mad. There's so many athletes that are mad about it. And from what you're saying and from this study that Dr. Rhonda Patrick highlighted, it's, you know, it's, it's, especially Rightly for someone so. who's willingly taken something. Yeah. It's, it's, there's it's a lot one of, of those like once a doper,
1: always a doper type of things. There
0: is that. Yeah. See the John Jones situation is very tricky because he's so good and he's so dominant that people just assume that he's been doing something his whole career. Yeah. You know, and when you catch him they're like, Aha, that's the reason why he's so good. Yeah. And it may be, but it also might be he's got phenomenal genetics. He has two it's brothers like that are Armstrong, super athletes. Right? He
1: was just the the best of the guys who are taking drugs.
0: That's a different situation because that's a sport where, at least in the time period where he was competing, everyone was doing something. Yeah. 100%. They had to go and back to you don't to think 18th the UFC place. is like that? It's not right yeah. there. It's not. It's not. It can't be. They're too strict. The USADA is knocking on doors at 6 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. peeing this cup. And you, you do hear about positive tests, but the amount of positive tests versus the negative tests is overwhelming. Way more guys are not doing something. It used to be the opposite. It used to be in the 90s, everyone was doing something. Yeah, uh, We were just talking about this on the Fight Companion podcast that a big issue is grappling. Grappling competitions are overrun with steroid users because no one's testing. And these, I mean, it's, the smell test is off the fucking charts. You're looking at these guys, they're just ridiculous. Just yeah. jacked. Yeah. Low body fat, super high muscle mass, and they're training jujitsu all the time, too. So you would think like, it would be very hard for them to maintain muscle mass as well as be able right. to train the way they're training with technique and drills and cardio it's, and all those things. It's very difficult
1: to maintain muscle. Yes. I mean, it, any, any concurrent strength endurance training scenario, very yeah. difficult.
0: Very difficult. So there's a real issue with uh, some of these guys competing this way and then trying to transition into MMA.
1: Yeah. Now what what's the deal with marijuana in the MM, in MMA? It's pretty or, much
0: in, legal now. Um, the, they don't in care season if, out yes. of season. Yeah, it's fine. They just yeah. they they've lowered the um, acceptable level or the, they've raised it rather. Like what you
1: could have in your bloodstream, you basically just can't be high the day of the fight. Yeah, yeah, and that's another interesting one. I mean that acts especially THC acts on a lot of these mTOR pathways you know that's that's the same thing with a lot of these anti-aging compounds right like rapamycin or you know metformin to a lesser extent acts on that mTOR pathway and inhibits it Mm. right but again it's it's short term with something like marijuana and you also get this pain killing effect and there was I, i forget if this was a study or if it was if it was like anecdotal but it's almost like a higher thrill-seeking effect like the endocannabinoid system when stimulated shuts down some of your 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 sense of fear when it comes to experiencing a new adventure really and so you actually you actually go adventure seeking more and when you look at like ultra runners um anybody who's competing in a a non- a complex activity in which they might have already developed the ability to be able to be in the zone, right? They've put in their 10,000 hours of practice and they're able to just kind of check out and go into automatic mode. When you combine that with the pain quelling effects of something like, uh, you know, in most cases, like a THC CBD combo is what a lot of of ultra runners are using. I'm not sure what what they'd use in, in MMA right now. But ultimately, you get a good effect, but but the loss of reaction time and the loss of the ability to be able to perform complex tasks, which they've proven in like flight simulation studies, dictates that it's still not that great of a drug if you were going to be doing complex tasks.
0: Here's the question, though. When they're talking about reaction studies, are mm-hmm. they talking about reaction studies for people that are – acclimated to taking marijuana or are mm-hmm. they talking about it with people where they take a someone who's a sober person and they introduce them to marijuana and there's this overwhelming effect of it mm-hmm. because one of the things that happens to yeah. people that aren't accustomed to THC is the freak out effect yeah. where they're just like oh, they're not comfortable with the experience after a while the way it's described and again this is all anecdotal but by people that are accustomed to it they say you just get good at being high and See the reaction time thing. I don't buy because a lot of strikers, a lot of uh, kickboxers, they train while they're on marijuana. It's very common. A I lot believe of it. I boxers. mean, the, well, the study
1: on reaction time was done on pilots, and you there's, see, a, f- there's a few more don't. blinky lights in a cockpit than than a mat. So sure, there might sure. be more going on.
0: Sure, but uh, that's the the question is: Are they experienced stoners? Or yeah. these people that are freaking out, yeah. and maybe the reaction time is they're spacing out, and they don't know what the fuck this experience is like, and they they might have anxiety because of it. You know, there's a lot of uh, really overwhelming sensations that come with that marijuana high, and a lot of them, you know, you, you call paranoia or uh, oversensitivity, and sometimes you get paralysis by analysis when you're mm-hmm. under the influence of those things. Where yeah, it's the these-
1: acute versus chronic effect. But, but with
0: jujitsu, personally, my personal experience with jujitsu and marijuana is it's an enhancer. And mm-hmm. I've, I've argued this, that I think it's a performance-enhancing drug. With, with
1: CBD? Do you no. combine it with CBD? No, just, just marijuana. Yeah, that, that's what that's what a lot of endurance athletes are, you know, like like folks in the ultra-running community right. using it now. Like, they'll use, like, a trace amount of THC combined with CBD, like a 4-to-1 mm-hmm. to a 10-to-1 CBD yes. to THC ratio. And I think, you know, now with the Farm Bill and increasing legality, I think this idea of developing sports performance supplements for athletes, you know, who aren't competing in sports yeah. where that is banned are going to be steered in the direction of like high CBD and then some of these other novel molecules right like CBG or CBN. I'm not aware of, these, of those. What are those? Yeah, there's there's all these different... I cannabinoids? Mean, not, not just terpenes. Yeah, CBG, CBN or cannabinoids. THC8 is an anti-inflammatory that's totally different than THC9. I mean, are like, these from
0: like, orally ingesting it or from smoking it or vaporizing no, they, it? No, they
1: actually are now isolating these in labs almost like mm. organic chemistry. And you 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 can take hemp or marijuana, and, and you can actually isolate specific compounds and then combine them. So you could mm. take like you could take like CBG, CBD, combine that with other terpenes from like whatever. Let's say. Lavender and valerian and and chamomile and make like a like a de stress relaxation type of compound, Mm. or you could do like a like a THC but a THC eight instead of a THC nine and combine that with like cinnamon and peppermint, maybe some caffeine or creatine or something like that to make like more of a pick me up type of compound. But I think that's that's the wave of the future when it comes to a lot of these these marijuana companies that are developing stuff for specific goals. I know a lot of folks
0: that are trying the CBD that use it for inflammation, especially athletes like it with a little bit of THC. They seem to think it's more effective. You know, there's some sort of a combined effect of the THC
1: with the CBD. Yeah. Yeah. They call that the, uh, the entourage effect. Mm. You know, when you have all the different terpenes and the endocannabinoids, which one's turtle. Yeah. Which one's turtle? I have no clue. (laughs) (laughs) So um, there's hundreds of different Different cannabinoids, right? I don't think there's hundreds. What? I no. think there's at least dozens. I don't know about hundreds. How many of them? Let's I mean, find if, out. if you if you look at a chart of the different endocannabinoids they've actually discovered, if you were to just Google, hundred thirteen. I don't know. Hundred thirteen. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot. It's a lot of fucking cannabinoids. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: wonder. Yeah. I wonder if they'll be able to like design something that gives you the high without the paranoia, or gives you the you know various yeah. effects. Yeah. Without spacing out. Yeah, you
1: know? I think that's that's where supplementation is going in general, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like we were talking about with diet, how based on your genetics, based on your blood work, based on your biomarkers, yeah. that's how you would choose your diet. I mean, like you know, like the carnivore diet. If you're if you're let's say like sub-Saharan African or Southeast Asian, and you have high levels of you know there are genes for salivary amylase. There's one called the AMY1 gene there are genes responsible for you having a higher inflammatory response to saturated fat or a ketogenic diet. Right? Like there's, there's one called the APOE gene, you know, mm-hmm. APOE 3-4, which I have, dictates that even though I personally eat kind of like a higher-fat, low-carbohydrate diet, the majority of my fats come from Mediterranean fat sources. You know, a lot of olive oils, a lot of avocado oil, a lot of fish. And I do that because my genetics dictate that, you know, my macronutrient ratio, my diet is gonna is gonna be best suited to that specific ratio of fats. But you could say the same thing with supplements. You know, I, I think with supplements now with, with all these different places that will self quantify, you know, like like wellness FX and Inside Tracker and 23 and me, you know, and you can you can take all of this data, put it together and actually determine, you know, whatever my, everybody's saying I'm supposed to take 2000 international units of vitamin D a day. If your vitamin D levels are at like 80 or 90, mm-hmm. then that could cause arterial calcification if you're taking excess vitamin D. Um, I had both myself and my kids tested for our, for our genetics. Like none of us boys in the Greenfield family actually have the gene that allows us to generate appreciable amounts of vitamin D from sunlight. So we all now supplement with really? vitamin d and vitamin k my boys neither of them possess the enzyme or the or the um i guess it is an enzyme superoxide dismutase it's a, it's a gene that allows for for increased expression of this enzyme that allows for glutathione production right so they take glutathione now Um, they have the one that results in a lower than normal level of BDNF brain derived neurotrophic factor, the stuff that's like miracle grow for the brain. So they use lion's mane extract now before school. Mm. So I, I like the idea of doing a genetic test and doing a blood test and looking at what your ancestors would have eaten if you happen to, to have, I, I guess, kind of like a clean enough to interpret ancestral profile to be able to say, well, here's, you know, I'm mostly Northern European, so this is what I'm going to do well on. You combine all that stuff, I think, you know, return to your question about the carnivore diet, that's the way to eat.
0: This ApoE four is also leaves you predisposed to CTE, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. Or, so or you at, have that at higher risk. No, I've got the ApoE three and three four three four. The ApoE four four is the one that's more concerning. for uh, that. Okay. Yeah, and you get a very deleterious response in many cases to to fats. You know, it's like an inflammatory response to fats. That's very similar. Very similar, like if you had familial hypercholesteremia, you know, and, and you get on like a, a ketogenic diet, for example, and you're Cholesterol goes up to 500. I mean, it, it, it's something that just doesn't agree with a lot of people.
0: Yeah, that's uh, what's really important to discuss, right? That everybody's body really does respond differently to all sorts of different diets, and yeah. it's so difficult for people, especially if they don't have a lot of research in the field, if they don't, have, you know, they, don't, they haven't read a lot about it, to try to determine what's the best diet for them.
1: Yeah there there are there are specific characteristics though. That regardless of macronutrient ratios and regardless of food composition, you see over and over again in centenarians or in people who are living in a blue zone or people who have the absence of a lot of of disease risk factors or or high risk of mortality, like – we see regular periods of caloric restriction, like at some point either a compressed feeding window or intermittent fasting, or like you know the Mediterranean diet. Everybody talks about goat cheese and olive oil and fish and eggs, but not a lot of people talk about the religious aspect of that. That includes certain periods of time where you fast, certain periods of time where you don't eat meat, certain days where you, where you aren't drowning all your food in olive oil, right? And so, um. It, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, 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 in terms of, of other characteristics that you see, um, glycemic variability, right? You see very low periods of glucose fluctuations occurring throughout the day because of a high intake of either fiber or legumes is a big one that you see in the blue zones, right? Like high intake of things like lentils and split mung beans and a lot of these things that get thrown under the bus now where we're talking about lectins and gut damage, but ultimately returning back to what I said earlier, soaking and sprouting and fermentation makes a lot of those things more healthy. Can I pause you am yeah. not aware of that. What are, yeah. what are the
0: issues with lectins and gunders? So the
1: issue with lectins, and this is based on a, on a book that was published, I think about two years ago, called The Plant Paradox by Dr. Stephen Gundry. And he talks about how, Lectins are these built-in natural plant defense mechanisms that are in primarily plants and seeds and the skins of certain fruits and vegetables that will cause your digestive tract to become damaged or would give you a, a deleterious or inflammatory response to that food kind of a similar argument as the paleo people make, right? They say, mm-hmm. well, you don't, don't eat dairy because that could have inflammatory proteins in it that might cause an autoimmune reaction or, or don't eat bread because of the gluten and the phytic acid. But when, when you step back and you look at a lot, of, a lot of blue zones, a lot of longevity hotspots, a lot of centenarians, you don't see avoidance of these foods. You see smart preparation of them. Right. When you hunt, you don't sit up in a tree with a, like a dagger in your teeth, like Peter Pan and jump out of the tree on, you know, on the back of a deer and, and, you know, just, start eating the deer, right? Like you have to go through a pretty long process of tracking and stalking and hunting and, and field dressing and quartering. And even then, you know, there's, there's a pretty intensive cooking process. And we do things like, you know, like coffee rubs and things to decrease the amount of carcinogens in the meat when you cook it and, and we dry age and you'll take the organ meats and soak them in lemon juice or buttermilk to stop. remove the on, gamey sorry. flavor and blah, 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 but stop, stop, stop. Okay. Hold on. I got, I got to do this. Okay. To Otherwise I'm not right.
0: forget coffee rubs. What is it how does it de- decrease the amount of carcinogens?
1: Well, coffee, rosemary, thyme, a lot of these things that we use as rubs, one of the benefits of them is they decrease the formation of a lot of these carcinogenic compounds in the meat, you know like the burnt charred components of the meat. Anything that's an antioxidant Right? And, and you could you could just go in your spice cupboard and start to make up rubs based on this concept. Anything that would be, you know, these sirtuin precursors that people are talking about now for anti-aging, like blueberries and red wine and dark chocolate and dark purple fruits and berries, etc. You dry those, you powder those, that's a great rub, right? Mm. Because all of a sudden you're decreasing the carcinogenic aspects of burnt meat or charred meat or, or heavily cooked proteins, particularly. So the idea is you want to prepare your food in a manner that renders it digestible and that unlocks the nutrients. And so when we talk about dietary customization, not only do you see calorie restriction, compressed feeding windows, fasting as one element that regardless of the diet that you choose has been shown to improve health and lifespan, but you also see low amounts of glycemic variability You see a high amount of emphasis placed on rendering the food digestible, again, no matter what it is that you're eating. And so whether you're eating a ketogenic diet or a carnivore diet or a high carb, low fat, high fat, low carb, what have you, the idea is you try to choose real recognizable food. Then you render that digestible and you eat as many different food groups as you can eat based on self-experimentation primarily until you land on that diet that that works well for you. And if you can combine that with self-quantification, blood, biomarkers, look at your microbiome, look at your genetics. I mean, there's no reason that that most people shouldn't just be able to eat the diet that works for their body. But it's a hard thing
0: to discover the 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 idea that you can figure out what works best for you, like what feels best, like people start convincing themselves, you know, that one thing is more beneficial to the other. And that's one of the things that people wonder about this whole carnivore thing is like, are they mind-fucking themselves? Are they giving themselves a placebo benefit of only eating this way? Yeah. And then you just go to Sean Baker's Instagram every day and you hashtag meat heals and you're like, yes, yeah. meat's healing me. And you well, start believing it. it's a tribe, it. right? It's a tribe. Yes, it's like it's, a church.
1: It's a religion. It's the uh, Nutrition exact, is highly religious and dogmatic.
0: It, well, the, the the carnivore diet people are the exact opposite of the vegan people. They're the same but different. Mm-hmm. They're, they're all just preaching that you should only eat meat and meats the thing and you know and And they're they're mocking vegans and the vegans are mocking or you know saying disparaging things about people who eat
1: meat it's really similar the issue is the same thing though it's the fact that when you start on a highly restrictive diet that tends to be dogmatic too like i'm gonna only eat meat or i'm Mm. not gonna have meat and i'm gonna only eat vegetables you feel pretty good, like you feel a difference. It's right. impossible not to feel a difference once you go go completely myopic on your diet and have a very limited number of food choices. But we know that vegans build up deficits in creatine, in taurine, in you know unless they're eating algae and stuff like that, in DHA, in EPA, uh, in fatty acids, and amino acids. Long term deficits in cortisol, which affects your cell membranes. You can definitely do it right. I mean, there's dudes like you know freaking Rich Roll, right? Like great right. guy, and he and and he's into like the, you know, fermentation, soaking and sprouting and superfoods. And, you know, it's, it's honestly kind of expensive and time consuming to do a vegan diet the right way, but you could do it. A lot of people don't. But if you're not careful, you build up deficits long term, even though you feel really good, short term it's the same thing with, with something like a carnivore diet like mm. you're probably going to build up some kind of microbiome bacterial deficiencies unless you're eating the intestines of ruminants or I suppose supplementing with some kind of really good probiotic well it's just uh,
0: fascinating yeah. because they they find these people that have been doing it for 20 years they, they pull these folks out of the woods like look we got yeah. this one guy he's been doing it for 18 years yeah. look how healthy they are they so show, yeah. show someone doing chin ups but the reality is you you don't really hear about that diet or you didn't really hear about that diet until like three or four years ago Right. And much more so over the last two years, probably because of me, accidentally, yeah. you know, having all these people on and talking about it. And, it's and, and you know, the people like Jordan that have had – look, it's impossible to deny the benefits that he's gotten. The guy looks fantastic. He yeah. lost a tremendous amount of weight. and But to your point, that is most likely because of an elimination diet and whatever was fucking with him before. And I think – you know, most people that start off with a poor diet and then switch to a restricted diet, they're just gonna be better because they don't have the the stuff that's poor. They yeah. don't have the trans fats, they don't have all the sugar, they don't have all the nonsense that's probably causing a good deal of the information in the first place. So by eliminating all those bad things from their diet and then concentrating on the one thing that they – the only one thing that they're eating. You think the one thing that they're eating is causing all the benefits
1: when it's right. probably the lack of the bad things. Exactly. It's, an, it's a fancy elimination diet. So, But it's a delicious one. It is. Speaking of delicious, are you, are you hunting at all yes. this year? Yes,
0: yes. Um, what's, what's your hunt? I, well, I mean, I'm going through the two elk that I've given away a lot of it to yeah. that I shot last year. Every year I schedule two elk hunts and uh, assume – I'm going to strike out, and uh, the last two years I've been very lucky, and I got two elk each year. So yeah, it's
1: breaking the rules of the secret and and grow rich. You know, to assume you're going to strike out. Well, you're i, to, I but You're I, supposed to sit cross-legged in your sauna and manifest that yeah, shit.
0: Those, I don't. Yeah, I work hard, yeah. but I assume. It's a hard thing to do, to fucking kill an elk.
1: And people don't realize. No,
0: they don't. And you look at a clip, like there's clips of me online, and the clip is like a minute long, and it seems like, oh, look look how easy. Yeah. You don't see stalking in for hours. You don't see (sighs) the hundreds of hours of shooting arrows, the coaching from John Dudley, all Mm -hmm. the reading archery articles, and... Understanding yeah. what and keeping your mindset clear in the moment—it's a lot of difficulty. It's
1: a long haul. My boys have their first hunt in three months, and, what, what kind? and we've been prepping for seven months. They're doing bow hunt in Kona really? for pig. Oh
0: yeah, wow! Yeah, my,
1: my wife she's going after sheep. How old the boys are, your kids? are going after pig? They're ten. So, so, are you getting
0: them a crossbow?
1: No, no. They're right now they're shooting a Hoyt Ignite. Hmm. Um, they're shooting at about twenty-five yards. is shooting at about forty yards. And how we, many we pounds they've been prepping are about 45 now which wow, is going to be that's, enough that's enough yeah. if you have a yeah but it, i mean they're still contact yeah, i mean they're still when they when they draw they're you know they pointing up and pulling so right. they have still got a couple more months of training to mm-hmm. to really get dialed in um but yeah it's it's difficult i still haven't even gotten my elk bow hunting you know i i spent my last time i spent 6 days up in the colorado mountain range in the uh the um, what they call it, the Santa de Cristo range, mm-hmm. you know, and and on the last day, I finally came in on elk, and it was dark, and I shot and I missed, mm-hmm. and, and that was after seven freaking days of trying. And you walk out or how far bri- was the shot? ride your horse out completely empty-handed. It's about forty-five yards, yeah, you know, in, in dusk, but you know, I mean, you know how it goes. You're, mm-hmm. you're shaking. It's a little dark, and yeah, yeah. Um. Anyways, though, so I'm gonna do uh I'm gonna do Kona. Actually, I would like uh, to get you in touch with yeah. Dudley because I, I've, I've oh, been in I touch know I know him. We've talked before.
0: I know how you, you shoot. Know. You shoot with a finger trigger. Yeah, I shoot with trigger. Yeah, I, I, I want you to the, get I shoot with a true thing. fire. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I, I need to. It's it's on my list. But because uh, those
0: moments like that when you you're hunting for six days and you're just trekking through the woods. 20 miles a day and you're exhausted and you finally get that one moment There's so much weight on that moment that yeah. it's so difficult to stay Focused entirely on the task of executing the shot perfectly and mm-hmm. there's methods. There's a guy named Joel Turner who has um I don't know him. Uh, He's got a, a website called iron mine hunting. He's a uh, um, He's a he's an instructor for um, uh, first responders and snipers and things along those lines, Iron Mind. Iron Mind. Where does he live? I think he's a Pacific Northwest guy. Really? And uh, he's helped me tremendously. His his methods. It's all about keeping a uh, the, the difference between an open loop system and a closed loop system being able to control it and stop it and stop the process anytime you want and keeping yourself in that versus like a baseball bat swing, which is once yeah. you start swinging, you're just swinging. Yeah. And the idea is to, to maintain the present and to, to have a mantra. And he gives you a mantra to chant and to think about it in terms of controlling all of those movements. So you are in control constantly you get a of your move. Well, you, you develop your own, but The idea is to talk yourself through it. Don't let your excitable mind take over. Oh, geez, you you freak out and you pull the trigger and you shoot fucking over the things back and you don't even know what happened. What's your mantra? You're lost. Um, I, I pull back and I I say, draw, I, I go through all the steps in my head that I'm supposed to do. I actually modified his and went to John Dudley's. So his, he has his own one which is uh, draw back and aim, get it done, watch it to keep it. And the, the whole idea is just keeping those things in your head so you have one thing. But with, with Dudley, I go through all the different things that he says, like uh, draw back, tip of the nose, center mm-hmm. the peep, center the bubble, pull through the shot, pull, 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 let the shot break. Yeah. And so I go through all those things in my mind. But the, the whole idea is to not allow the freak out because yeah. the freak out is what causes the target panic. And when you have that itchy trigger finger with the, the finger trigger, you're good. Like, oh, yeah. and that's yeah. – that's, I've done it. I mean, I've seen it. I've yeah. done it. I've seen it. I've heard it. Everybody does it. The, the arrow goes in the spot you know, where you're yanking it and you're pulling – it's not very precise. Yeah. You want to get it to where it's a surprise shot. Yeah. And when it's <laughs> a surprise shot, you're just – Concentrating entirely on the area that you want to hit on the elk. Your form is perfect. Everything's aligned in order. And if it's not, you let down. Yeah. If it's not, you let down and try to get your
1: shit together. Yeah. See, those train to hunt competitions helped me out quite a bit. I'm sure, it's, but it's, those it's, are, like, it's like a 3D shoot. But you, they but put you're running you running around in. and
0: you're getting exhausted. Well, e- no, yeah. not
1: not really. Like like they uh, they do have part of it as like that, like an obstacle course race with your bow. But then part of it too is just a 3D shoot, mm-hmm. like, like a like a a, a 40 target 3D shoot, where one shot might be I'm facing you, but the target's behind me, and you've got a 10 second time span to draw turn and shoot mm-hmm. or you got to take a shot seated through the trees at 40 yards and then within you know 20 seconds do a shot at 60 you yards see, Dudley so, would so tell it's a lot you of hunting that that, but Dudley
0: would tell you that that is going to cause target panic that that whole thing of shoot now that you yeah. should never just do that that you should always execute the shot correctly even he doesn't even like this fucking game This thing, this uh, techno hunt that we've done, he doesn't like that. He thinks that that thing causes target panic because you Mm. only have a brief window and you're like, go. It's like he he believes that you should concentrate entirely on the correct fundamentals and execution of archery. And then with time and understanding of the situation and the experience of hunting itself, then when those moments present themselves, you're going to execute correctly. Whereas when you have this like 10 second, you got to turn and behind your back, ready, go. You're like, wah. Yeah. You're just going to hit that. You're going to hammer that trigger. You're going to put that pin on the target and hammer that trigger. Yeah. And that's just, you are emphasizing all the wrong things that you could do when you're hunting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go to Hawaii next month and do uh, sheep which island? Go- Big island. So it's going be Kona. Kona. I'm gonna do a. F- uh, well, I like to go down there because you can spearfish. Mm-hmm. So you can you can double up and do a bow nice. hunt, spearfish. So we'll do sheep and goat, uh, pig, possibly turkey, and then we'll have a couple of days out on the boats, and that'll be actually uh, Kyle and Aubrey are going. Um, oh yeah yeah. Aubrey was telling uh, me about P- that. Peter T is gonna come with us. Oh so nice. So we'll have a doctor on the trip. Oh cool. And, uh, th- and then the one I'm excited about is. Uh, doll sheep up in Alaska. So I'm going to do the, the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge.
0: Wow. That,
1: that's a float hunt. So you're floating about 40 miles down the river up mm. there. You fly into, uh, into Fairbanks, and there's a fort that you fly in from there on a charter, and that'll be doll sheep, caribou and grizzly. And this is that's a that's a 10 day hunt.
0: And this is a bow hunt as well.
1: That'll be a bow. Well, I'll be I'll pack like I've got a yeah. I've got a Smith and Wesson 44. It's a big ass gun. Mm-hmm. So I'll pack that and then I'll probably have a 272. Um, if I if I if I can make weight, with, and are you with hunting grizzly, weapons. or are you just avoiding them? No, I'm hunting doll sheep. Like right. that. That's what I really want. That's just an adventurous. I'm not much of a trophy hunting guy, but I am an adventure guy. Like like I want to go out and have an amazing adventure. Let's out in explain the wilderness. to people why that's so, an
0: adventure. Because the 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 place it's, where it's these rugged. things live yeah. is some of the fucking sketchiest ground on earth. It's shale rock. A lot of it. Yep. You have to. A lot of times you're wearing crampons on your boots you're yeah. at extremely high altitude in precarious yeah. situations these little cliff peaks long and,
1: pack outs mm-hmm. uh, I'll have a caribou tag and a grizzly tag as well so if, if so I so do you have and, a grizzly I, tag
0: I, to shoot a grizzly because it's charging you or to shoot a grizzly? No, because that that eat would it?
1: actually be to harvest and eat a grizzly. Yeah. Like I, I'm actually pretty. You know, Look at I that. I'm a cook. Look at those doll yeah. sheep. Yeah, yeah on that exactly, edge. exactly. So that is an adventure right there to be able to get to those little specks on that rock. So hard. So we'll be floating the river. Uh, we'll be fishing. They got Arctic char up there. A few other fish. Those are beautiful fish. Yeah, Yeah. so you get some big, fatty fish out of cold water. It'll be about ten to twelve days, and then I'll just fly all the meat out and fly it home. Now, grizzly as a meal—that's
0: a thing that where people are hearing this and they're going, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And uh, I had Donnie Vincent on the podcast, who's a He's a really interesting guy, very educated and really, really articulate and really like, like Rinella in a lot of ways does a great job of explaining what hunting truly is about and the conservation yeah. aspect of it. But he's a big fan of eating bear and he's yeah. always telling people like, you know, like they're all good. Like if you prepare correctly, all bear is good. Yeah.
1: Apparently the trick is to, to get rid of the glands early on when you're field dressing, because apparently that taints the meat. And I'd, I've I've never filled dressed a bear, so I don't know. But um, Stephen Ranella, though, I love his cookbooks. Um, yeah, he's close to me. He's up in um, he's up in Bozeman. Yeah, I think. Yes. But I've been trying to get him to come through Spokane and swing into my house to do a podcast because so I want to actually ask him some questions about his. Have you He's, got a, with he's got a new cookbook. Yeah. Yeah, we've connected. We've talked a few times. I just, he, gotta, I just gotta get him to come through Spokane. I love that guy. Yeah.
0: He's yeah. the one who got me in the honey.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's fun though. Yeah, it's, it's a he's
0: a great cook too. He really is. He really understands like so many different preparations and tries to get people to try things like osabuco, you know, to yeah. like, braise the shanks. and. Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah yeah I love that now how about spearfishing have you gotten into into the whole spearfishing freediving scene at all
0: I was in Hawaii recently my youngest daughter is obsessed with fishing she fucking loves it and mm-hmm. uh, we caught a bunch of yellowtail when we were in Hawaii this last trip and now she's super hooked cause you know she's eight and she's hanging on to this rod and you know I mean I, I was sometimes I was helping her like I was holding the rod and she was with her two little arms cranking these yellowtails yeah. and you know you catch a ten pound yellowtail when you're eight years old I yeah. mean, the fucking That's pull a fight. of that thing. Oh, my God. They're so powerful. It's a
1: fight. I took my boys out for steelhead. Yeah. And, and mm. you know, my my boy, uh, Taron, he almost got pulled into the water on <laughs> North Fork of the Clearwater. <laughs> big steelhead. I mean, those things are massive. What is it? deal? he snagged st- one. Steelhead, uh, you're not supposed to eat them, right? You're supposed to let them go? It depends. There, there's a certain... I forget the I forget the color, but there's a certain style of steelhead that you are allowed to. eat. He had to throw this one back. This wasn't the one one of the ones but that we were I allowed don't, to
0: eat. I don't totally but, understand that. I mean, I kind of understand it, but it seems to me like it is. It's an ocean-bound rainbow trout, correct? Yeah, exactly. Right.
1: So why can't you eat it? I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. And, and there's there's a certain variety that you actually can eat. Well, yeah. you you can eat it physically, but you're not no, I mean legal. To, I mean legally. legally yeah. yeah.
0: But legally. that seems so yeah. strange to me, is the yeah. idea to protect the population because they're in the process of breeding and you don't want to interrupt. But you're, there's a certain mortality rate that they're accepting with catch and release. This is one of the reasons why I have an issue with that. And I've done yeah. catch and release fishing. I don't want to appear like I'm a hypocrite because it is fun. But there's a thing about it is like you're just shoving a hook in
1: a thing's face and then releasing it that's that is why i like spearfishing because you're underwater you're going after the exact fish that you want like there's no doubt in your mind i'm gonna shoot that fish and you're not wondering what's gonna bite the hook
0: right like whether it's gonna be a
1: legal one Mm -hmm. or an illegal one regardless of whether you get a fish it's amazing. You're yeah. happy, you see the coral, mm-hmm. you're getting, you know, you're going down and up. There's the, there's all like if, if you're in the fitness, the cold thermogenesis and the breath hold and the spleen compression and the red blood cell production. So I mean it's a, it's an amazing workout. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just fun. It's zen. Yeah, they wouldn't
0: let my daughter do it though. She's too young. They said you have to be 13. So we yeah. To, 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 to spearfish, yeah. She yeah, wanted to She could to, probably though. do like
1: shallow water with a sling yeah. and that's that's the way to do it. Is you want to start offshore eight to 15 feet of water. You want an easy sling. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people think spear fishing and they think of like the big roller guns that you got to like put the handle against your chest and pull back. Right. It's very difficult. And then you got to dive to depths, you know, for, if you're going after tuna, you got to mm-hmm. be able to go like 30 plus feet and you have a floater and it's a very involved process. But mm-hmm. if you're just like in freaking Hawaii and you've got a sling and a good spot and some coral and some good fins, and you can just basically swim away mm. um you know I'd, i'll tie a string around my waist and put a little knife on my belt and you can just go out there and you know string four or five fish and it's it's an easy day it's a ton of fun
0: yeah and it's, it's almost like it's not fishing. You call it spear fishing, but you're basically hunting underwater.
1: You're hunting underwater. Yeah. yeah. They even have the. I haven't done this yet, but maybe you've seen these these underwater bows. Mm-hmm. Where you, you can you can shoot a bow at the fish. Yeah. It's a bow. I don't know if they call it bow fishing or what, but have you seen this? I've seen something yeah. like
0: it. Yeah. I'm, well, I know there's a lot of bow fishing that people do. They're shooting down at like gar, yeah. alligator gar in particular. That's yeah. a big one that they use. Yeah. Have you I ever tried that as well? No. It's supposed to be really good smoked. Really, it's a, such a weird-looking animal. It almost seems like, yeah. in my mind, it almost feels like you shouldn't shoot it because it's a dinosaur.
1: Yeah, it's like,
0: keep it alive because they—they yeah. I mean, they really haven't changed in millions of years. Yeah, such a freaky look. They're fish. fun to
1: prepare, though. I do a fish feed after a spearfish. You're all cold. You're hungry. Last mm-hmm. one I did, uh, we had we had a uh, parrotfish down in Hawaii, stuffed with avocado and mango, coconut oil, Parrot baked fish. baked it in the oven with macadamia nut, like encrusted macadamia nut.
0: Parrotfish are the ones that are eating the coral and shitting out white sand. I don't know. Yeah, apparently, did you apparently know that
1: you've watched more nature TV than I have?
0: That's what white sand is. It's shit. Really, yeah, believe it or not. it's like really? these, yeah, these fish eat coral, chew it up and shit out the white sand, so
1: like a giant white sand beach like Clearwater, Florida, shit. that's all fish yeah. shit
0: parrot fish poop makes beautiful beaches. there you go. Huh. there's the article,
1: answer I wonder if it's yeah. good for your I wonder if it's good for your microbiome. Because you're out on bacteria. These
0: motherfuckers are oh. out there just eating rocks.
1: <laughs> That's a lot of shit. It's <laughs> a lot of That's shit. It's a lot of parrotfish over a very long period That's of time. Millions, taking and millions a lot of, of, of years. Shits. Like, here you wow. go. You can see them yeah. do it. They're chewing
0: on the coral. They bang it out. They have, like, a beak, essentially. That's why they call them parrotfish. They smash down that coral, and then all that white around them is they're just basically swimming around their own shit. That's pretty cool. It's crazy. That's pretty cool. Very strange. I dig that.
1: Yeah. Um... I was gonna ask you something. Um metformin. Yeah. You started talking about with David. Yes. David Sinclair. You gonna take that? Yes. Metformin?
0: Maybe. I don't know. It seems weird because that one's a uh, drug. It's
1: it's like it's like the darling of the anti aging industry. Right. You know, it's like a nickel a pop and it it's uh and it inhibits mTOR to a certain extent, but the big deal with that is is glycemic variability, mm-hmm. reduced risk of chronic disease. But there's a lot of side effects of that. That's really? why I want to mention that too. Oh, okay, I so, mean, so he you are saying
0: that there's none.
1: No, there's lactic acidosis, and it inhibits the the um, electron transport chain in the mitochondria, which is fine if you want to downregulate metabolism and live a long time. But not if you not if you're an athlete, right? Uh, like you don't want to inhibit mitochondrial respiration necessarily. Um, vitamin B12 deficiencies. Like, it's derived from French rue, and physicians for, for hundreds of years, been using it, but in limited quantities because it induces nausea, right? So you get gastrointestinal disturbances. Um, my take on metformin, because I've been looking over the past year into a lot of these anti-aging compounds that people are now using or talking about using, like rapamycin and, and metformin and NAD and mm. a lot of these sirtuin precursors. But metformin... And rapamycin, actually, for for different reasons, because that's an immune system suppressor, are two that I don't think I would ever take. Really? Because with metformin, there are a variety of natural compounds that reduce blood glucose and improve insulin sensitivity in the absence of that, like berberine, uh, curcumin, apple cider vinegar, Ceylon cinnamon bitter and extract
0: and you think like all you those can, things are mimicking what metformin is capable of doing
1: i think so I'm, I'm not wearing it right now but usually i wear a dexcom g6 it's a continuous blood glucose monitor it actually fell off yesterday when i was doing that exercise that's one of those ones thing, you see so.
0: diabetics wear they would
1: stick it, yeah, to their body. It, it sends my blood glucose to my cell phone i learn all sorts of interesting things like um, my blood glucose would spike in the mornings like clockwork About 8 a.m. every morning, and I was trying to figure out like, why is my blood glucose going to 120, 130 every single morning? Well, I'd have a cup of coffee. In the mm. morning, and even though I don't put cream or sugar in my coffee, I just drink straight up black coffee. Coffee actually causes your liver to engage in something called glycogenolysis, so you actually release glucose into the bloodstream, which is a good thing. That's why you drink coffee. You you want that cortisol release, that glucose hit. You know, maybe you want the flavor and the antioxidants too. But I would get a blood glucose response from coffee. Hmm. Uh, another one that surprised me was green beans. You talk about legumes, you talk about slow-release carbohydrates, and it falls into that category, but my blood glucose would go up whenever I'd have green beans. Hmm. So I actually got a food allergy test through this company called Cyrex. They do like a really good food allergy test that doesn't give you this big laundry list of false positives like uh, like, uh, there's like the ELISA and the ALCAT test, like these skin prick tests. You just get like a very small number of foods that you're actually allergic to because a lot of these other tests, they'll show a bunch of antibodies to food but it's antibodies to food because you're eating that food. All right, so so many people will be like, "Dude, I'm I'm allergic to eggs. I got a test done. Allergic to eggs, and I'm depressed because that was a big staple in my diet." Well, it's only showing that you're allergic to them because they're a staple in your diet because you're eating a lot of eggs and you're winding up with a lot of those egg proteins in your bloodstream. But this this uh, Cyrex Wait a panel, minute. explain that. So basically, if if you're eating a lot of eggs, you actually have a lot of egg proteins circulating in your bloodstream. And if, if you get a food panel, you actually can very readily produce, like a food allergy panel, you produce antibodies to the egg protein, and they say that you're allergic to the egg protein when, in fact, you just have a lot of egg proteins in your system because you've been eating a lot of eggs. And sometimes they'll even test the white blood cell reaction to a raw egg, not a cooked egg. Right, and so your white blood cells are going to react more readily to a raw egg versus a cooked egg, a raw chicken versus cooked chicken. I don't think a lot of these food allergy panels are that accurate for that reason. Like I think they're just giving you a laundry list of foods that you may or may not be allergic to. Mm. But this one is called it's called Cyrex. I've I have no financial affiliation or like that with this company, but I just think they do a good job with their testing. They uh, you, you got to order it through a physician. And I ordered this test, and I was allergic to almost nothing like barely anything would spike for me, like a a kind of like a moderate spike for gluten. Uh, Green beans, though, were off the chart, off the chart. So that continuous blood glucose monitor was actually able to tell me that I was eating something that my sympathetic nervous system was responding to. I was going to fight and flight mode, releasing a bunch of glucose, and I never would have really known that or gotten a clue about that unless I was wearing one of these continuous blood glucose monitors. I'm not going to wear it my whole life, but I'm going to wear it. My my plan is to wear it for a year to just learn a lot about the foods that I usually eat, what they do to my body, what certain workouts do, uh, what certain supplements do. But returning to metformin... I started to use a lot of these things like berberine, like curcumin. You can do a shot of apple cider vinegar before a meal. Take a couple of teaspoons of Ceylon cinnamon in your smoothie. And these things actually have an effect on blood glucose that mimics what you're trying to get when you take metformin. And that, but so that's all that metformin doing is just limiting blood it, glucose? Well, like I mentioned earlier, it does inhibit mTOR a little bit. Right, so so you get that that mTOR inhibition, but you can inhibit mTOR through like calorie restriction and fasting done regularly, or like a compressed feeding window. I should or, have
0: had you here yesterday. Yes, yeah,
1: yeah, so there's. there's
0: I, would ha- I should have had you here to talk to David Sinclair. Well, I, I, I
1: want to finish listening to that interview too because mm. he, he's a he's a very smart guy. Yeah. But I I just I'm not enamored with Metformin. Well, I he's think not that there an athlete. Are better, more natural alternatives. He's yeah. not
0: an athlete. He barely yeah. works out. And he works of, out a little bit. He does like a little bit of a run, a little bit of lifting. But you could tell right. he's not he's not a guy who's really yeah, exerting himself rigorously.
1: To me, I want the marriage of performance and longevity. Yes, right? I don't want to I live agree. a long time if I can't kick ass. Exactly. and feel good. I don't want to be cold and hungry and libido-less and live till I'm 150. Like yes. I, I want to, even if that means I'm going to live till I'm 145 instead of 150, <laughs> right? Because because <laughs> I've got more muscle mass or whatever. Right. Like I want to feel good. So whenever I'm looking at a compound like that, I'm questioning whether or not it's it, it's the best way to go. If it's going to inhibit my actual performance. Right. His focus is so. Especially if there's natural so, alternatives. He's so focused yeah. on longevity. Yeah. Yeah. But you could say that about a lot of these things. I mean, like like cryotherapy chambers, right? I mean, you look at the, the Cherokee Native American tribe would dip their babies in icy cold water until they were like two years old. Or the uh, there's that, the viral video footage of the Siberian school children. I don't know if you've seen this one. They they rush out into the snow during recess in their underpants and they dump cold water on themselves and run around in the snow and then come back inside. Mm. And in Iceland, based on some of the research that was done a few decades ago on immune system, they let their babies sleep outside in like sub-zero temperatures in what? strollers. Yeah, what? Uh, you know, the, the Russians, the Finnish, the Eastern Europeans—they've all to got their—they've their, all got their their cryotherapy, like the Baltic Sea. You know, you go back and forth. When I go to Finland, they've got the men's Finnish sauna society. There's no mm-hmm. cryotherapy chambers. You know, it's just old school saunas. Mm-hmm. Then you go jump in the sea, and you dry yourself off in the air. Then you go back in the sauna. So, you know, a lot of these things. There's natural alternatives. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I I get flack a lot of the time because I'm you know. I'm one of these so-called biohackers, right? I have like the the laser lights in my office that that I shine on my balls, and I've got like the you know the lights that go in your ears, and I've got you know the the stem cells and IVs and injections. But I always, always want to make sure people know that you go after the natural stuff first, mm. like natural ways to get cold, natural ways to get hot. If you're going to buy some expensive pulsed electromagnetic field mat, you sure as hell be Better be going outside barefoot, right? Like, or camping, or sleeping Mm -hmm. outside, or, or learning how to earth and ground in a more natural way. What do, you, what, do you, what is involved
0: in earthing and grounding? Is there a real yeah. provable effect? Yeah,
1: there, there is research, especially in terms of a reduction in inflammation and improvement in joint comfort. That's a very interesting one. And then when you take these same frequencies, so the, the earth naturally emits somewhere in the range of about 3 to 100 hertz electromagnetic frequencies, like way lower than the, than the you know, million hertz frequencies you're getting when you hold your cell phone up to your ear. But we're walking around on basically a giant electrical mat, like, like there's radiation electromagnetic frequencies released by earth and the idea is that these fancy devices now these mats that you can sleep on or do therapy on there's uh there's bit like i've got one in my basement that just packs a punch like he was using the racehorsing industry for a long time it's called a a pulse centers and you lay on that thing and it just like vibrates your whole body what is it doing it reduces inflammation you think of it like exercise for your cells it's opening and closing the cell membrane so you're getting this, this blood flow it's called a pulse centers it's like a giant table. Pulse centers? It's got different coils. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's Pulse, Pulse Centers is the name of the company that makes centers this. Centers or centers? Cent- centers. 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 But it's got like uh, attachments, like coils and pads that you can attach to your knee or attach to like a bum shoulder or whatever. Huh. Or I'll just sit in there and work on my computer. I get a massage on it every week for a couple of hours. So it's taking the same frequencies you get from the earth and just magnifying those, just delivering them in a more concentrated manner. The same thing with like a like an infrared light panel. I don't know if you've seen these before. They deliver near-infrared, far-infrared, red light. People will strip off their clothes and stand in front of these things to get more collagen production. Hmm. Or, you know, in the same way that that light that I was talking about for your head can enhance mitochondrial activity and neural tissue, your your Balls are basically little eyes. They have photoreceptors on them. They respond to light. You can actually increase mitochondrial activity in the testicles, in the Leydig cells in the testes, to increase testosterone or increase sperm production.
0: So you shoot a light and in your balls? No, yeah, it the idea you is. You grow more
1: tests? You'd go outside and you'd, you'd sunbathe nude, or you'd use one of these lights and just stand in front. Like I literally I look, look like an idiot at work, but this is what I do. I've got a light panel in front of me. Right, I'm at a standing desk. I work at a standing desk. I've got a light panel behind me, and every day for 20 minutes, I just take my clothes off at work and I stand sandwiched in between these light panels and it basically blasts me with this red light. But I also go out in the sun, right? Like I, if if I've got the option to do that versus get outside in the sunlight, I go out into the sunlight. If I've got the option to take berberine and bitter melon extract instead of metformin, I'd rather take the berberine and the bitter melon extract. So, I think you should strip stuff down and go as natural as possible and then once you step up to the more advanced, you know, anti-aging strategies or biohacking strategies or what have you, you still have to look at those with a skeptical eye and ask yourself whether or not those are those are really safe or if they have side effects that might, you know, in many cases limit your physical performance.
0: And why do you prefer a standing desk?
1: Well, the whole sitting is the new smoking thing I disagree with. I think I think sitting is just fine. Like, it feels natural to sit. It doesn't feel like you're breaking some rule of the human body to sit down. Like, we're sitting down right now. It feels pretty good. The problem with sitting is that that is the posture most people are adopting for eight hours per day, right? The best position to be in when you're working would be whatever position you're not in at the moment. Same, you know, when when you look at weight training – this would not apply to hypertrophy, which would dictate that you want to hit a muscle over and over again using the same angle with increasingly difficult loads. But for metabolic uh, training, you would want to actually throw curveballs at your body. right? You would, the best workout, therefore, would be the one that you're not doing right now if your goal was, was just to limit any type of metabolic efficiency. So the idea with the standing desk is I have that to give me yet another position to be in during the day. So I've got a, I've got a true form treadmill and I had true form modify it to take the dashboard off. So I've got that in front of my standing workstation. And then I've got one of these balance boards that I can stand on. And I've got like a stool that I can lean against. So I've got all these different positions that I can be in during the day. And then I've got that, that a uh, centers chair in my office that I can go and sit in. So every 25 minutes, I'll just shift to a different position and my standup desk is a hand crank standup desk. So I can crank it up and down if I do, want to sit at my desk Hmm. and just it just works you know it's 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 the idea of hacking your environment of equipping your environment to be in as many different positions as possible so i think that's the key to feeling good at work especially when you're stuck indoors
0: do you believe in one of those um have you seen one of those uh it's a you stand at your standing desk on this variable sort of surface have you seen those things where it's like like it's a
1: topographical a, mat? Yeah, it's yeah. weird. It's There's got a bunch of, weird of those. Surfaces. There's one called a topo. The one like in our Boulder offices for my company, we've got the stand up desks that go. Uh, you you push a button and they mm-hmm. go up and down. But then what we have is just scattered around the office a few of those mats. We've got some of the. I don't know if you've seen these fluid stance things. They're like kind of like skateboards that you stand on top of, but they're not. They're not as gnarly as a balance board, so you can still focus while you're standing on top of it. Um, You know, we've got different stools, different chairs that will go up or down. So, again, like even if you're in a corporate office, it surprises me how many people in their in their corporate offices don't equip their employees just to be able to to move during Mm -hmm. the day. Yeah,
0: yeah, they don't care. Yeah, yeah, and most people aren't using ergonomic chairs either.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you use as your as your main chair for these, ergonomic chair? These chairs that we have Just here. That's what we're sitting in right. Is it, what am I sitting in right now?
0: Capisco, a Company. I feel called like I'm not using
1: it to its full capacity. It's, it's excellent. Got these, it's, what what it's, are the uh, what's the purpose of the way that this is shaped? In the back of this
0: here. You can kind of lean on it in a weird way. Put your elbows on it if you like, but it encourages you to have an upright posture.
1: I've got this thing called a Mogo upright. It's a stool and I can even travel with it because it will compress. It weighs about two pounds, mm-hmm. and you can actually lean against that and get into some different positions on that one, what too. What is
0: that company that sent us something? They have one that's basically almost like it's on a spring where you kind of have to balance yourself out. You have to, like,
1: activate mm. your core
0: just to be... I, you know, Jamie, I saw no one adrenaline. of those
1: at a chiropractic event once. It's, mm. it's like kind of makes you squeeze your pelvis while you're in the chair. But there's actually there's this dude in Finland... Um, He's got a company called Sally S A L L I. He used to ride horses and he decided to start making chairs that would get him into the same upright position that he'd be in when we he, he was one riding of those a horse. Saddle chair. We yeah, have it's a saddle somewhere. chair. There's one in another yeah. one there somewhere. I have one of those too. That That's red up one. at my yeah. kitchen table. Yeah. That shit is yeah. so uncomfortable though. <laughs> yeah. Really?
0: Yeah, it feels like your balls are sandwiched in between these two planks.
1: I think the armrests on these are so you can spin it around if you want to sit like A.C. Slater style at the, like, you know really? I mean? Yeah. AC Slater What's AC Slater, yeah. Slater style? It's a chair backwards. Oh, really? That's AC yeah. Slater oh. that style? In my head, that is yeah. for sure, yeah. I don't <laughs> well, <know>. those saddle <laughs> chairs, <laughs> they've, they've got like little Allen keys that come with them and you mm-hmm. can adjust to, to your pelvic width.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, it so, fits my width. It's just weird. These maybe are, all those these fat injections
1: you've been doing just give How you that you? big-ass wide <laughs> pelvis. How dare you? I do don't, I don't do not you on your chair. How dare
0: you? That was my main chair for a long time, the saddle chair. Really? But then when I started using these Capisco chairs, it's way more comfortable. Yeah. Well, and if you're sitting
1: for a long time.
0: Yes. Yeah. 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 And it's just, yeah. it's easy. And I have no back pain. When I use a regular office chair and I sit for long periods of time, I get that center back pain from just just poor posture, just sitting yeah. you know,
1: in a curved stance or a curved uh, position. What about a treadmill desk? Have you tried one of those? No. No. See, I can't do a lot on the treadmill desk production wise. But if I'm ever let, if if somebody's interviewing me like on Skype on a podcast mm-hmm. or I'm doing a consult call with somebody you know, reviewing blood work or something like that, I'll be walking on my treadmill and then I've got my microphone in front of me and I have this program called Dragon Dictation. And Dragon Dictation allows me to talk via like a headset yeah. and then it'll type the words on the screen. I
0: used to use that a long time
1: ago, but apparently yeah, it's, pretty it's accurate. moved. Leaps and bounds. It, the, the, yeah, it's called training your dragon. You get the software tells you to train your dragon, mm-hmm. and so you, you say all these words, you read all these paragraphs, and it learns to identify your phrasing right. and the volume of your voice, and it gets more accurate. But it's way better than, than the built-in Apple. Uh, whatever it's yes. called, voice recognition software. Yeah. So it works, and I like that because then I can just walk. I can I can talk emails. I can talk with people. So there's like mm-hmm. three or four different things that I do at work that I will walk during.
0: Yeah. That, now that makes sense. That makes sense. I, I, I write when I'm just completely alone and quiet staring at a computer because uh, I want to spend time on each individual word and really concentrate on what the fuck I'm saying. Because most of the time I'm writing stand-up, so I I need to bounce it back and forth, and to talk it out is not really the right strategy.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm working on a book right now, and what I've found is, for me, I have to have a triggered environment, like a place in my house that when I go to that place, that's the place where your mind says, okay, this is the writing spot. For me, it, it's it's this chair in the corner of the living room outside of my office. As soon as I get into that thing, it's like writing mode. Right, right. And I just yeah. I just go Pomodoro all right for twenty five minutes. Get up, take a five minute break, come back. But mm-hmm. That's how I do it. I just yeah. have like an environment to write in.
0: Yeah, an environment and a, a good time, like a specific time to write, is good too. Like where you know, hey, now it's X amount. You know, it's X time. That's that's when I write.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the idea behind. Um, you know, all of this new research they're doing on morningness, eveningness, uh chronotypes, different people being night owls versus mm. morning larks. Yeah. Even uh there there was um it was a study I was looking at yesterday about the response to like an, an inflammatory stressor. I don't remember what the stressor was, but like when a morning type is stressed out in the morning, they handle it better than when they're stressed out in the evening and vice versa. Hmm. And it's, it's very interesting, this research on chronotypes. I like the idea of just just being able to shift your circadian rhythm because I travel a lot. Like I haven't been home in 17 days. I've got two more days on the road and then I'll be I'll be home. But when I'm going east to west or west to east, I use light a lot to reset my circadian biology. Called uh, zeitgebers, right? Like these are these are cues that regulate your circadian biology. So, like eating is one. You want to wait to eat until it's actual meal time in whatever area of the world that you're traveling to. So, if you arrive in whatever you know new york city from california at 3 p.m you don't want to eat a bite of food until like 7 p.m when it's actual dinner because that helps to regulate your circadian rhythm movement is another one like you want to get outside go for a walk go for a swim go hit the gym i found that whatever. that's a big one for me yeah
0: whenever i travel yeah. the first thing i do is i check in i go right to the gym
1: yeah I, I actually, makes I, I go outside. I take off my shoes and go outside. That's good, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. but for
0: me, like, a rigorous workout makes all the difference in the world in terms of, like, how I actually feel. Especially yeah. when I'm, if I'm training, if I'm traveling a lot and doing shows, mm-hmm. and I go, I mean, you don't want to. You get to a hotel room, you just want to lay down and yeah. relax. You have to I defy sh- that
1: urge. Yeah, I just yeah. go
0: straight to the gym.
1: Yeah, that's what I find. If you if you shut up the inner bitch and make mm-hmm. it through the first two exactly. minutes, you're good to go. Yep. But light is the biggie. Mm-hmm. Light is the biggie. So I've got like the I've got these buds that make light that go in my ears. You make light into your ear. Mm-hmm. You have photoreceptors in your ears. Really? You photoreceptors all over your body. That's why if you wear a sleep mask to go to bed, you still have to make the room dark because you have mm. photoreceptors on your skin. Ah. I've got the one that I was talking about that I wear on my head. That one's called a that one's called a V light. The one that goes in your ears is called a human charger. And then I've got the one that goes in the eyes. That one's called a re-timer. And that one makes like this greenish blue light that's not damaging to your retina, but that just blasts your entire skull with light. So I've got light on my eyes light on my ears, and light on my head, and I'll flip those lights on back in front of the body. And that's my home setup to get my circadian rhythm restored. So what I do is if I've been back east, right, and my body at uh, 4 a.m. Pacific time is telling me it's 7 a.m., because I'm on Eastern time, my circadian clock is on Eastern time. What I do is I wake up. I'll, I'll, I'm not going to lay in bed for three hours waiting until waiting the time when I actually do want to get up. But what I do is I wake up, I get out of bed, and I put on those blue light blocking glasses, the ones that you're supposed to wear at night, right, you know, like the yellowish-orange lenses. But I block all light. So I'm basically just walking around in pretty dim setting in my house. You know, I'll, I'll make coffee sometimes or have some water, stretch out, get some work done. But I've got the light blocked the whole time and then whenever the time rolls around when i actually want to start waking up right? right let's say i'm like 6 a.m i don't want to wake up at 4 a.m i want to wake up at 6 a.m then i'll go down to my office and i'll put on the eye thing the ear thing the head thing the light in front of you got me a picture of you like the this. light behind me i need to see a i've photo. done it on an ig story before and then you just blast yourself for like 20 minutes and if i do that for two or three days like my circadian rhythm just right back on time Hmm. right back on time and i and i mean i I fall asleep when i'm supposed to fall asleep you know i I go to bed at like 10 p.m i get up about 6 a.m and that's that's my cycle every day but i just blast myself with light when i get for me
0: lack of food is a good one you know make sure you use some sort of fasting in order you know to regulate everything when you're traveling and then exercise those are the two big ones yeah. And then eating after after rigorous training puts everything sort of back into perspective.
1: How do you fast? What's your
0: fasting protocol? 16 hours every night. Every single night? No, one or two nights a week I'll fuck off.
1: What about like longer fasts during I the year? I don't.
0: At all? No, I haven't done that.
1: I started doing it. Yeah? I started it last year. So my protocol now is 12 to 16 hours of intermittent fast every day. Christmas, Thanksgiving, what like. As soon as I stop eating, I'm competitive. I'll set my watch. If I finish eating at 8 p.m., I don't eat again until 8 a.m. If I finish eating at midnight, then I, I don't eat again until, you know, if I get up at midnight for a snack, I won't eat again until lunch, at least 12 p.m. So I do that every day. And then what I started doing, once Walter Longo came out with his research on the longevity diet and this whole idea of a fasting-mimicking diet, inducing cellular autophagy and enhancing longevity to the same extent as if you were just to do, like, a pure water fast or stop eating— so what you do is on a quarterly basis, four times a year, you restrict the normal amount of calories that you would eat to forty percent of what you would normally eat. So maybe you're doing, maybe you're just dropping one meal, or for every meal that you eat, you're eating a little bit less. And you do this for five days on a quarterly basis. I started doing that last year, and I, I just have like this stew that I make with split mung beans and basmati rice, and it's called uh, it's called kitchery. It's an Indian Ayurvedic cleansing stew. Dr. Longo's company, El Nutra, sends out these kits called Prolon kits that are all done for you. But I just wanted to, to make make my own stew. That's easy for me. I put a little coconut yogurt on it, and that's just breakfast, lunch, and dinner for me for five days in a row. It's almost like a like a seasonal cleaning. So you do that four times a year, and the only other thing that I do is one or two times a month. I try to go from Saturday dinner to sunday dinner without eating so it's almost a 24-hour fast and with those three things 12 to six hour intermittent fast the quarterly five-day like modified fast and then the 24-hour fast one to two times a month that's sustainable for me i could still perform i could still work out um i think i think that's the way to go
0: how do you feel when you do that 24-hour fast does it Pretty affect good. your workouts about 2
1: p.m you get hungry The Mm -hmm. 2 p.m. in the afternoon on Sunday. Because what I'll do is I'll have dinner on Saturday and then I'll wait the whole day and then I'll have a big Sunday dinner. And honestly, it doesn't affect the workouts that much because the magic of fasting seems to be the compressed feeding window and not the calorie restriction, right? This returns to not wanting to be hungry and cold and libido-less if you're going to live a long time. Mm. So the idea is that you could fast from Saturday dinner to Sunday dinner and have a giant ribeye steak, sweet potato, fry, red wine, dark chocolate. Halo top ice cream, whatever you, whatever you want. At the end of the day on Sunday, eat 3,500 calories and then you're just you're topped off and you're ready for the next day and you have a long period in which you're engaged in cellular cleanup, cellular autophagy, but you kind of get to have your cake and eat it too because you have a bunch of calories at the end of that.
0: Are you drinking coffee?
1: Yeah. So yeah.
0: coffee's fine.
1: I was actually surprised you didn't ask me when I brought in the sourdough bread and the, and the coconut macaroons and everything if they would take you out of ketosis. Break your fast. I get that question a lot now. Well, people are like, well, "Well, let's." Be, no, but people. Are, people want to know if the butter in your coffee. You know, putting 800 calories of butter in your coffee is going to break your fast. What? Like, basically, the idea is if it has calories, it breaks your yeah, fast. Course, if it doesn't have calories, it doesn't break your coffee fast. Coffee has
0: zero calories.
1: It's negligible. It's right. like a, a few cholesterol molecules, and like the mm. what do they call it, a coffee stall and the kahwe all, and so. And even that, if you use a paper filter, you're filtering a lot of that out. That's mm-hmm. actually why I like French press because you're not filtering some of those like brain spinning compounds out. Have
0: you fucked around with any of that four sigmatic mushroom coffee? Yeah, I like yeah. that stuff. That's a lot. actually
1: that's actually before I came over here, I had. A cup of coffee, and I had a packet of that four sigmatic lions mm, man, yeah. which is good for cognition.
0: Yeah, I yeah. Uh, I've been drinking their those little packets. Yeah, they're fantastic. It's yeah. a sponsor now. Yeah, and, oh really? Uh, yeah, I know I'm, that. I'm a guy. Big fan.
1: Taro, he lives down in Venice Beach. Mm, Smart guy. They seems they do like a place for a guy that makes yeah, mushroom coffee. Yeah, <laughs> they do a good job with their mushrooms. So so yeah, anything that has calories is gonna mm-hmm, take you out of fast. Sure. But but I'll drink uh, black coffee, green tea. Both of those enhance your fatty acid burning, so it's actually enhancing the benefits of a fast occasionally if i'm gonna do a, a pretty epic workout the two things that i'll use in combo are ketone esters with essential amino acids you combine those a very low number of calories but that's like rocket fuel
0: how much you get the, the anabolism
1: about 10 grams of essential amino acids and then the ketones what i've been doing is a shot glass of this stuff called uh it's ketone aid, and then there's another company called HVMN that does like it. They all taste like ass, mm. but you combine those with like a little bit of amino acid. So you have high ketones, high amino acids, but neither of those are insulinogenic, so it still keeps you in a, in a relatively fasted state if you want to go to a hard workout or maintain mm. muscle or whatever. What but about the, cordyceps um,
0: mushrooms? You ever fuck around with those? They're amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah I like cordyceps. They seem to act primarily... On some of the some of the pathways for oxygenation, have we gotten you the red blood of the, cell uh, production on it? Shroom Tech, lungs. yeah, I've got all the I've got all the on it stuff. Yeah, um, I'm Shroom, a Shroom giant Tech fan is good. Um, actually, Four Sigmatic does does a cordyceps as well. But the other one, the uh, the lion's mane. What I've been doing, I'll do this about two times a week. Just take a very small amount of psilocybin. About ah. 0.2 grams of psilocybin ah. and you take two packets of that lion's mane the the four sigma lion's mane es- uh, extract mm-hmm. and then anything that increases blood flow so it could be like beetroot um any nitric oxide precursors you could probably try shroom tech um uh, niacin. A lot of people use niacin, but you combine anything that increases blood flow, a couple mat packets of the lion's mane, and then about 0.2 grams of psilocybin and the cognitive pick-me-up you get from that is profound. Ooh. I mean, you know that psilocybin increases your sensory perception, uh, your ability to pick out color, smell, sense temperature, etc. but just for getting through a day of work or even like going on a, on a long hike or I'm, uh, I would not be surprised if our ancestors used psilocybin for hunting because you actually do get a pretty good increase in sensory perception, smell, and sight from it. And visual but, acuity as well. Yeah, yeah, but that mix works really well mm, where you do the lion's mane along with the, the with the psilocybin extract.
0: It makes sense that there would be some sort of a symbiotic benefit to, to combining those sort of mushrooms together. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like that uh, – we were talking about this last time, that doctrine of signatures, the idea that what things look like in nature – could actually give you clues about their benefit mm. for the body, and when you find lion's Man, I don't know if you've seen it in nature, but it looks like this cluster of axons and dendrites. Like it looks like brain cells, you know, up close. Let's see if you can find so, it. Uh, yeah, just look the up like of lion's mane, mane in, in the wild. It's Pretty badass looking. Or like, there's a lot of stuff like that. Like, um, there's this place in Kauai that i go to called kawaii organic pharmacy and they just grow on this tiny little two acre farm all these different superfoods like you know noni and uh cacao and they've got comfrey there and if you dig up the root of a comfrey plant
0: there it is yeah that. that's lion's mane that is crazy. Yeah. it really in, does look in like that a lion's mane I mean, yeah. what a great name for yeah, it yeah but too. it
1: also looks like dendrites and axons mm-hmm. and neurons so it's very cool um what a freaky yeah, an plant. Amazing plant. I, I have yet to actually find it in nature, but apparently you can find it up in the up in the inland northwest where I live. Anyways, though, Comfrey, they call it knit bone, and the roots look like knuckles and joints and human bones. And it's very good for healing up fractures or for making like a plaster for your joints. A plaster, Comfrey plant. What do you mean yeah. by a plaster? Yeah. Well, what what that uh, that pharmacy in Kawaii does is they grind it into a powder, and then you reconstitute that with water, and you smear it like over a shoulder joint. They could just use like a like a T shirt or whatever to hold it on there, or an ace bandage, and it actually increases the speed of bone healing or joint healing. Like it like it's an anti-inflammatory. They do like a like a muscle cream with it too, made out of the Comfrey. So it's very interesting there's 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 all sorts of different different things in nature that give you clues you know like the the carrots and the eggs for your eyes or the walnuts for the brain. I think there's something to it
0: the well how does that stuff increase your bone healing like what is it doing what's the mechanism
1: I don't know I don't know. It might be like uh, some way of mineral delivery through the skin, something like that. I've been
0: blown away yeah. by CBD by using um, p- uh, put, putting CBD over muscle yeah. injuries. A lot
1: of companies do. Like you know what the trick with that is? One of the guys, one of the doctors who work with uh, Tour de France teams, was showing me this. Do you have an electrical muscle stimulation unit? I do. I got but like I a, like never a Mark Pro it. or a Compax or what have you. Yeah, I got a Compax. So. You put your, your CBD oil on or your magnesium or your Arnica, your Tramil, whatever it is that, that you're using, and you rub that in. Then you put the electrodes on top of that, mm. right? And then you put an ice pack on top of that. So mm. it's three things. You've got the, the cream or the lotion, you've got the electrodes, and then you've got the, the topical thing that holds it on. Mm. And the electricity drives the anti-inflammatory deeper into the tissue, so it enhances the effect of like a CBD oil or a magnesium, and the ice allows you to turn up the electricity to a higher level without getting uncomfortable. So I do this at home. I use one called a called a Mark Pro and just kind of surround the area that's actually you know torn or, or that's painful, and I'll do a, a rub like that. But you're right, CBD oil works amazingly for that.
0: Yeah, that yeah. stuff is uh, it's it's remarkable because it's you're you're putting it on the surface of your skin and it's it it's weird how it can get all the way deep into yeah. a muscle or into a joint. Yeah. Like uh, a lot of people use it with knee pain and it's just, it's remarkable the, how the well it works. The
1: skin is a mouth. Yeah. That's why some of those personal care products are kind of scary. But uh, CBD. Personal care products? Yeah, you know, like personal care products, like parabens and phthalates and, you know, estrogen, you know, phytoestrogens and endocrine disruptors and stuff like that in them. I mean, you know, they've, they've, done, know they've, they've done studies where, you know, like like guys will like take a shower with the average shampoo that's got, you know, like parabens and phthalates and these things that, that can be endocrine disruptors or, or phytoestrogens, you know, mimic estrogen in a man's body. And they actually, within... A short period of time after taking the shower and using these care products, you can actually detect this stuff in their urine. Like your body's actually soaking this up and absorbing it. Huh. There's a very, very interesting book. Uh, I interviewed this guy on my podcast. It's called Estrogeneration about how many guys have really high estrogen levels now from Champagne. primarily their personal care products really? or their household cleaning chemicals.
0: So it's true. That stuff's so, trying to turn you into a bitch.
1: Yeah. It yeah, is more or less. Like if you go yeah. over a guy's house and you see yeah. a bunch
0: of sweet smelling shampoos, like what that's, are they what doing, surprised here, bro? surprise
1: me. Like like when I raced for for a team Timex, we used to train out at the the giant stadium in New Jersey, and I go in the locker room there, and it's just like this. You'd, you'd think that the the peak of performance in professional sports would have started looking into by this point. How could you keep testosterone as high as possible in a male athlete's body? Right, but you walk into the bathroom and it's just like every endocrine disruptor known to man, just like lined up in a pretty shiny row there on the shelf in front of the, you know, the shaving cream and the shampoos and the spray deodorant. Shaving cream is an
0: endocrine disruptor. Yeah,
1: I mean, any not all shaving cream, right? But if it's if it's something that has those kind of chemicals in it, absolutely. Have
0: you ever used Dr. Carver's shave butter?
1: That sounds familiar. It's
0: a it's a uh, Dollar Shave Club uh, yeah. product. It's the most yeah. fucking incredible shaving cream of all time. Like you'll yeah. regular shaving cream, you you won't you just won't use it after you try that stuff.
1: I think I've tried that because These this, so this probably happens to you. You get oh. lots of lots of personal care products since yeah. your since your studio or well, your I'm, home. Yeah,
0: but you know, that stuff blows me away. It's like, it's like a, a butter. I mean,
1: it's, it's it, called it like, Doctor Carver's. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. I'll get them I'll to, send to you some. I'll have to try it. I'll You'll to fucking try be blown it. away yeah, by I don't it. have to shave that much, so don't have them sitting very much. You don't, you don't grow a lot no, of facial hair? No, I don't grow a lot of facial hair. No. 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 But yeah, these... these uh, think with
0: all your experimenting...
1: You'd, you'd think, you'd think something would have sprouted, but you'd think it'd be <laughs> kind of weird. Like it'd just be like one right side patch of the chin. Right. And it's like a hair, but there's a mole attached to the hair. Do you ever wonder yeah, like what little, you're it's got doing little, to yourself? it stem cells bleeding out the end. Do you um, ever like sitting in bed um, at occasionally, night? Occasionally. There, like there's some of the stuff on stem cells that admittedly are a little bit of like a venture into human experimentation without robust evidence of safety. How about the one where you shot um, into your dick? Yeah. That's that's a yeah. good example. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I'm I'm kind of shifting my whole philosophy on stem cells to kind of go after stuff from my own body as much as possible. Mm, you know, the
0: technical bone marrow, term being
1: autologous. You know, mm-hmm. you're like that one I did in New York City. It's just it's not somebody else's blood. Right, it's just right. my own stuff. Or you know, in some cases, you could argue that placental or umbilical or amniotic cells are so young and so pluripotent. You know, and if they don't have the the the, uh, the DNA in the nucleus, which apparently they can they can kill off somehow which is how they make exosomes. Like you're not getting somebody else's DNA. You know, it's 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 just something your body would have made anyways and mm-hmm. recognize a self. So, yeah, some sometimes though, um sometimes though I probably have taken it too far with a few of those things. But uh but the CBD that you were talking about, I'm a huge fan of. I take CBD before bed every night. You, um, orally? A lot of it. Yeah, when you much? look at the studies on CBD for anxiety and for sleep, mm-hmm. most of them are pushing 100 and up to 900 milligrams, which is nuts. When you look at the actual serving size of the average CBD tincture or capsule or pill, it's like 10. Mm-hmm. Right, so you got to take a lot of it. But I sleep like a baby. Like last night, I, I got the, the ring that I do my sleep score on. I slept eight and a half hours last night. And I take 100 milligrams of CBD. I take a little bit of melatonin, and I'm just out. Hmm. But you got to take a lot of it. And you wake up kind of groggy when you do. Really? But, if, but if you're used to that and you know, like, you get up, shake it off, 10 minutes later, you're good to go. What's the groggy coming very from? Well. Probably just overstimulation of the endocannabinoid system. You're just, like, super relaxed, mm-hmm. which I want to be when I sleep. Right, of yeah. course, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It yeah. works.
0: What about regular marijuana? Does that affect your, your sleep? Do you find it beneficial or no?
1: So, CBD can enhance your deep sleep cycles right which is which is when a, a good majority of your neuronal repair and recovery occurs THC allows you to sleep and it actually decreases sleep latency how long it takes you to fall asleep but it does reduce the amount of time you spend in deep sleep right so if you're mm-hmm. if you're one of those people whose mind races who's hypercharged up when you know and, and you got to get to sleep at night Use THC, like, like, you know, hit a vape pen or whatever, but know that you might miss out on some of the things you want during deep sleep, memory consolidation, neuronal repair and recovery, you know, nervous system repair, but it, it, it's still pretty decent sleep and you're not getting as much of a reduction in deep sleep as you would get if you were to be taking like Ambien or Valium or something that's Mm. literally just like a sledgehammer for your frontal cortex that knocks you out, but you almost get no deep sleep. So if you do this, if you were to get like a sleep tracker and test your deep sleep levels, you would find that with CBD, you don't fall asleep as fast, but you get higher deep sleep levels. And then with THC, you can fall asleep faster, but your deep sleep isn't quite as high. When you consider that CBD can counteract a lot of the effects of THC, then that means that what you could try is take THC to allow you to fall asleep faster, but then pile a whole bunch of CBD on top of that. And I've done that before, too, where you just take a hit on a vape pen and then take a bunch of CBD and you shoot for the best of both worlds.
0: Yeah, folks that are taking ambient, I mean, that is, I mean, especially people that are doing it virtually every night, that has got to have a profound effect on your brain's ability to recover.
1: I think there are a lot of people shorting themselves on life who are taking Ambien or Valium. I mean, I I think to start with sleep, you need to rely on your body's own internal chemistry. And that would be breath work. Like I think everybody, before they start taking whatever, phosphatidylserine and adaptogenic herbs and all this shit for cortisol. And before they start taking Valium or Ambien or anything else for, for sleep, you should learn how to control your physiology with your breath. I think that's the most powerful way to do it. I mean, Mm. your your prana, your chakra, whatever you want to call it, like being able to do things like breath work, box breathing, alternate nostril breathing, uh, even even holotropic breathing. Like you can go some very interesting places in terms of DMT production by the pineal gland by just doing holotropic breath work. Like there's there's a lot of very interesting things that you can do with your breath. But I think that for getting to sleep or for decreasing stress, you start with the breath and then you start to introduce some of these other molecules but ambient valium like in the era of like readily available cbd and you know all the other sleep compounds that we have available like valerian and passion flower and chamomile and you know all, all of those are what are called gamma aminobutyric acid or gaba precursors they produce inhibitory neurotransmitters like I, I don't understand why people are still taking ambient valium cuz they're idiots yeah they're just addicted
0: to it, or they just want a pill. I mean, that's essentially what it is. They want it's, fat it's so in their buttocks, and they
1: want Ambien and Valium. I don't know if it's the same folks,
0: but many times it, it is. Be, right? I think it's our president. I think our president takes that shit. He, I think he's sleeping with Ambien.
1: I think a lot of politicians do that. Yeah, yeah.
0: well, they can't sleep; otherwise, yeah. they're fucking ruining the world. Right. I um, I i found that if my brain is racing, just completely concentrating on breathing in and breathing out, and concentrating on just the breath itself, like really being cognizant of it, and f- slow deliberate breaths in and out and in and out by doing that over long periods of time I've I've found that I can I can pretty much knock myself out
1: you can but that takes focus a lot yeah. of people are not willing to learn how to do that because they want the fast track out they just well, want to take a drug and yeah, pass out
0: that is the thing yeah. right they just want a pill yeah. yeah it's very unfortunate that those things exist and that, that that sort of thinking is uh, you know it's reinforced yeah yeah It's encouraged, in fact. You know, all these ads and all these doctors and different people, well, if you have a hard time sleeping, I'll just write your prescription the next thing
1: you know. And and, I mean, you look at the animal world, like they self-medicate, they'll use clay for parasites and, you know, dogs eat grass for mm -hmm. stomach issues. And, you know, I guess birds now are putting like nicotine and cigarettes in their nests because there's some kind of benefit to that. And Hmm. and, you you see animals self-medicating, you see our ancestors using Everything from, you know, cannabis to Ceylon cinnamon to, you know, all sorts of different derivatives for thousands of years. So it's not like supplementation or or self-medication or the whole creation of pharmaceuticals is something that's unnatural or not an acceptable human activity. But once you start to use it as a crutch... I think that's where you run into issues like once once you deny yeah. the human body's ability to be able to heal itself or to be able to decrease stress on its own and you begin to rely on these exogenous chemicals i think that's where you start playing with fire
0: i just wonder what's happening to people's minds over long-term use of this stuff where you're not going into these deep sleep cycles and you're using it every night because essentially once you get hooked on it a lot of people have a really hard time sleeping without it
1: yeah yeah um, I mean, they're shorting themselves, right? Right. But bit, I
0: mean, what, I wonder
1: what studies. It's memory, it's right. learning. Like that, that's where a lot of that type of stuff happens. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with, with, um, uh, what's it called? Glymphatic drainage. Like this this new drainage system for the brain that they've just discovered in recent years. This idea that you actually detoxify the brain during these sleep cycles and it's even enhanced when you sleep on your side. They even looked at sleeping positions and this thing called glymphatic drainage. And when you're not going through proper sleep cycles or you're constantly waking because you're on your back and you have, you know, a lot of people have sleep apnea where you'll look at their sleep charts and they'll frequently wake during the night or that you'll see periods where they just get ripped out of deep sleep. Yeah. You wake up and you don't have memory consolidation or mm. you don't have the type of neuronal repair and recovery that you'd want, or, you know, you'd, you can even short yourself on muscle repair, mm. you know, and, and, there's, there's probably a lot that we don't know about just dreaming and its ability to be able to, you know, do things like help form memories or, or make, you know, learning or experiences more deeply rooted. But, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I think sleep architecture is something that just gets super fucked up in a modern post industrial era. We've got access to pharmaceuticals that just take a sledgehammer to our heads.
0: Yeah, no question yeah. about it. And it's also, there's been a, a lot of work done on actually going to sleep with a problem. This whole idea of sleep on it, like, there's, so, there's actually something real to that. That, that there works. are some, there's some. Cognitive balancing that's going on while you're sleeping where your mind is actually going over whatever issues you might have and trying to come up with a problem During sleep time during your subconscious.
1: You don't want to know how many times now And I'm, I'm learning this as I get older That you delay a decision or you delay replying to an email or delay responding to a text message or what have you until you've gotten a full night of sleep on it. Mm -hmm. And the clarity that you get after that, I mean, you just basically you think about it a little bit before you fall asleep. Then you go to sleep and you wake up with such a better answer. The same thing with walk on it. Like walk on it is another thing. We know you you make more nerve growth factor and more brain-derived neurotrophic factor when you walk while you're learning. I recently gave a, a TEDx talk. And I just, I, I made the whole TEDx talk and I learned the whole thing while I was walking up on the farm road back behind my house. I just mm. walk up through the forest, pop out into the sunshine, walk up and down that road and just listen to my TED talk on my earbuds and give my talk. Mm. And it's just, it's, a, it's amazing for the brain. But yeah, I agree. Dwelling on something before you go to sleep, it does I, the trick.
0: I always, if I do that, I always have a response the next day that's kinder, less emotional, more understanding, friendlier, yeah. um, you know, uh, reciprocating, any any sort of good vibes. It's 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 really interesting. It's really really interesting how there is some sort of a wisdom that's imparted on you while you're sleeping.
1: There is, and and now what I do is I'll think about what it is. But I am a big fan of fiction before you fall asleep. Mm. It just lets you escape to a whole different world. I took my right. kids on this giant tour of New York City. like we went we went to Chelsea Market and the High Line Park and the Empire State Building and Ellis Island. We just did it all. But we went across the street from Central Park to the New York Historical Society, where they had a Harry Potter exhibit. And we walked in there. I've, I've just always been resistant to the Harry Potter phase. Like, just I've never read the books and never watched the movies. Uh, but my kids really wanted to go, so I took them. And when I walked through there and saw all the research, the deep research that that J.K. Rowling did on alchemy and herbology and and, and the history of magic and you know wizardry and and she she actually took a deep dive into all this stuff. She pre-planned out all seven of those books before she even wrote the first one, and all of her original manuscripts were in there, and her letters back and forth to the editor and to the publisher. I walked out the other end of, of that exhibit. It took us about two hours to get through, you know, just looking at everything, thumbing through everything, and I was just like a diehard. Harry Potter fan
0: where is this exhibit this
1: was at I don't it it was one of those things that was at the New York Historical Society but you know a lot of these they'll do an exhibit and Mm they'll kind of go in and out during the year so I I doubt it's still going right now because this was like three months ago and, uh, you know, we walked out and I'm, you know, my kids are like, dad, this is the Gryffindor wand. And this is the, the, the Slytherin or the, or, or Dumbledore's wand right. and, and the Gryffindor sweater and the, the Slytherin sweater. And I just started buying him all the sweaters and, and the wands. <laughs> and now I'm reading the book. So I'm, I'm halfway through Goblet of Fire right now. And I'm actually digging it.
0: My 10 like, year old read all yeah, of them. She read all amazing. of them in the course of a year. Yeah. Have you gone to the Universal ride?
1: No, but the they, they have Harry a brochure for that down at the Hilton where I'm staying. It's yeah.
0: amazing, yeah. the Harry Potter World ride. Yeah. It's incredible. It's a yeah. 3D ride where you're on a roller coaster, but it's not 3D. But it's you know augmented or yeah. That'll be like, next to me. Reality. I'm a fan.
1: I'll go by myself. Yeah, scream my hands up in the air. You'll love it. Yeah, it's really yeah. good. Yeah. The whole
0: Harry Potter World is really good.
1: It's Don't it's drink amazing. That butter
0: beer though. It'll give you diabetes. I did
1: well. My, my, one of my boys made butter beer for his classmates because they, they've got like a uh, they, they help mom with all this stuff. They've got like a cooking podcast and they oh, do cool. uh, their last episode was marshmallows. They made marshmallows but there's like a cup's worth of bone broth in every marshmallow and it's like this what? healthy like glycine infused marshmallow that they made a dark chocolate fondue with and wait then you mean, you wait, dip wait, it wait. in coconut flakes. Why are you using
0: that much bone broth in a marshmallow? I don't know. How does,
1: what does I, it feel I don't, like? I don't have the recipe but it taste of it like i'm i'm usually not much of a sneak snacks into bed kind of guy but i was like taking marshmallows to bed eating marshmallows and reading harry potter how in much bed, sugar is in the this. marshmallows not a lot really not a lot no they, they're doing a good job with their podcast like they're doing a lot of like like blackstrap molasses and stevia and raw honey and they're doing like uh um what else did they make they made like a like a uh a gluten-free baked donut with a cream cheese ginger frosting and cow nibs on top Oof. that just like you dip it in coffee and it tastes like a real donut good lord and they, they are they're turning into little little chefs they you do a make cooking me hungry, podcast dude. yeah what yeah.
0: what's the benefit of grass-fed beef over regular beef i i know there is a benefit but i don't I don't I never can recall it correctly it's something to do with the essential fatty, fatty acids. acid
1: ratios yeah cuz grain you're going to you're going to have more of the omega 6 fatty acids which have been unfairly vilified Meaning that a lot of people are just like, don't eat any omega sixes, don't have any arachidonic acid, like don't d- don't Who's overdo your seeds, your nuts, your nut butter. Kind of like the the orthorexic health world as a whole. You know, like when you read nutrition magazines and stuff, they're like, do your omega threes, but be careful. Americans have a twenty to one omega six to omega three ratio, but the problem mm-hmm. is that omega sixes. That's a lot of those are derived from what are called parent essential oils, and your cell membranes need a certain amount of omega-6 fatty acids from seeds and nuts and plants and even to a certain extent, grains. And when you have an excess of omega-3s and not enough omega-6s because you're going so far into the fish oil category, then it actually damages a component of your, your mitochondrial membrane called cardiolipin. You actually make less of that. Really? And so you interfere with normal cellular activity. What seeds are most beneficial? Uh... uh I I would imagine the most nutrient dense ones. Right. Do you have a specific one? Almonds, macadamia. I mean, what I eat is like almonds, macadamia, nuts, Brazil nuts. I just don't eat the quasi nuts like peanuts, which are, you know, they're not as high in nutrient density. They're more of a legume than a nut. Um, I eat a lot of my nuts, either raw or lightly roasted. You always look at the label to make sure they didn't put a lot of vegetable oil and canola oil in them. Uh, But, you know, I'm I'm a fan of nuts in in moderate. I eat my nuts like you'd eat your nuts if you were going to have to shell them. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if you've ever right. had to shell a walnut, you're not going to eat 30 walnuts because that'd be exhausting. Right. You pistachios. might have a handful. Like, yeah. I yeah, buy like pistachios eat your pistachios in the shell. It's annoying as hell, but keeps you from eating too many of them.
0: I buy them shelled yeah. and I eat fistfuls of them. Yeah. Like last night I ate like a half a bag. Yeah.
1: Pistachios are great for your microbiome too. Yeah. I actually had a couple of research studies on that last year that showed an improvement in the diversity of the bacteria in your gut. With pistachios. That's one of the nuts that's good for your body, probably because of the fiber content in pistachios. But grass fed versus grain fed is primarily the omega three fatty acids. I mean you have less of the arachidonic acid, less of the potentially inflammatory omega six fatty acids. There's probably part of it being that grass fed grass finished beef is generally raised on a farm that's using less herbicides, less pesticides, raising their meat in a more sustainable fashion, you know, giving it less hormones, giving it less antibiotics. That's painting with a broad brush, but right. generally grass fed, there's more to it than just the fatty acid composition. It's just a, a better meat overall. In my well, better health wise, grain fed beef. I will not lie. Like you can, you can have a pretty damn tasty, fatty cut of grain fed beef. Like, you
0: certainly you can, can, but I honestly prefer the the taste of grass fed. I like yeah. the denser meat, the darker meat. I like yeah. it better. Just to me, it just it it just tastes healthier. I just my, I crave it more, you know. And when I go back and forth between the two of them, when I eat grain fed, it, it feels like like a lazy cow, like it's yeah. mushy. It's yeah. got like it's good, it's delicious. Don't get me mm. wrong, but there's a difference. It's
1: kind of funny because I've gone over to Dubai a few times and taught like fitness conferences over there, and they advertise grain fed like they want mm. everybody like when you go to the restaurants like this beef is the finest. Grain-fed beef. You know, we well, if you go to like cows Peter cows Luger's, up, which is a lot of grain. pretty widely
0: recognized as yeah. the greatest steakhouse in the world, <laughs> that place is all that grain. That place is fed. a trip.
1: I actually, I, I didn't like my steak at Peter how Luger's. How fucking dare um, you? I, I Who know, are I'm you? I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get killed. Why by did you not like it? Some rude Brooklyn waiter is gonna take me out. But uh, how could you not have yeah, liked it? I didn't like it. What? what I did like you like? it. Just something about like the meat. Just tasted. It tasted like it was drenched in vegetable oil. Like something what? about it just didn't taste right. Maybe I had a poor Peter Luger's experience. That doesn't even make but sense. I, I did not enjoy it that much. Dude, and, I, yeah, I
0: ate I, there and afterwards I'm like, I don't think it gets better.
1: I don't think yeah. I don't think food gets better. Yeah. How dare New you? York, New York does have a lot of good restaurants, though. Yeah. You no, they lie. do. My buddy, uh, David Boulay, he's a chef over there, and mm-hmm. he has this wonderful restaurant where he brings like doctors and nutritionists in, and they teach you about certain aspects of the food that you're eating. Like I did one there on longevity, mm. and I taught about like having bitters before your meal to reduce your, your glucose and your insulin response to the meal, and the use of like, like sweet breads for your thymus gland to increase the activity of your immune immune system to, uh, you know, like a lot of these polyphenols and antioxidants from the purples and the greens and the blues to, uh, there are these things called uncoupling proteins that actually get activated with with cryotherapy and cold water immersion, but that also are something that get activated with the consumption of, uh, it's, it's like a sea urchin is basically, it's like a sea urchin foam that they did at this dinner. But basically what he does is he'll partner with the physician or the, or the nutritionist or whatever and make this amazing, like, four-hour, you know, five-star meal that's designed to enhance the health effects Mm. or whatever it is that you just learned about. Wow. And I was actually in New York, when I did that blood procedure a couple weeks ago, I I dropped in there again and ate, and that's one of my favorite places to go. You know who's got uh, a
0: steakhouse in New York City is that guy who fucking sprinkles the salt. What the hell's his name? Salt Salt Bay. He's got a place in New York City. I don't know this guy. You know know that that fucking that meme online Uh -uh. where the guy's got the salt? Uh -uh. Throwing it on the meat? No, oh, you're too busy doing no, actual work. But, but I like salt.
1: I like yeah. I, I like good salt. As a matter of fact, you know what the very best salt that you can get is what? This is based on. I was with a group of doctors a couple of months ago in Park City, and this guy, one of the guys that was there, he's like a water and a salt expert, and he did what's called a mass spectrometry analysis of all these popular salts, like Himalayan sea salt and black Kona salt and Aztec salt and Mexican salt and you know all these different salts. And analyze them for their their mineral content because you want high mineral content, but their metal content, right? Like we know that iron, especially in guys now, we're finding out it's, it's not that great. It's, it's oxidative. It can cause damage. It's associated with inflammation. We know that metals and, and microplastics and all these kind of things are winding up in the food supply. But top of the list in terms of cleanliness and mineral content, what do you think that it was? Kosher salt. It wasn't kosher salt. You can buy this at just about any grocery store.
0: Morton it's sea a,
1: salt? No, no, it's Celtic salt. Celtic, Celtic salt. You know, a blue bag. It's kind of like a gray salt, and it's gray because they don't like bleach it. Mm. But it's still clean. It's not like pink and reddish because it doesn't have a lot of iron. Celt- I've even it. heard of Celtics. Celtic. Have you ever yeah, heard of Celtic anywhere. salt? Yeah. it's amazing. It's flavorful. It's big. It's big chunks. So it works okay. well as a meat rub. Ah, oh, I, I Celtic carry salt. There I carry it is. Salt, Look at know. that. Yeah, I mean, Ooh, you, you can buy Celtic that just about salt. anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, and that that stuff is about the healthiest salt you can get. Okay. According to this dude. Yeah, I like it. I started, you know, I I always travel with some kind of salt. My wife gets pissed because, you know, she'll make these amazing meals, and the first thing I do is I just pull out the salt and just cover everything in salt. But I think it's because I excrete a lot of salt
0: if you working when, out when a lot when yeah. i
1: raced for uh, for for uh, for timex actually they brought in a bunch of physiologists to to test our sweat sodium our sweat sodium analysis meaning that they they measure how much sodium you excrete for any given volume of sweat and this kind of returns that whole genetic thing like when you look at people of a northern european ancestry who would have come from a population that did a lot of fermenting a lot of curing a lot of pickling we would develop some pretty robust sodium excretion mechanisms, right? because we're we're preserving our food with salt. You don't want all that salt to build up in the body because you know theoretically you could increase blood pressure, you could cause some damage if you have too much salt. And when you look at other folks who didn't, you know people who would, for example, sweat a lot and live in a hot environment, you know like like whatever, South Africa or a very hot region of the Philippines or whatever, they would have some pretty robust salt conservation mechanisms to be able to hold on to sodium and hold on to salt because you're Mm. sweating more. Well, my sweat sodium analysis revealed that I lose like two and a half times more salt in my sweat than the average person. So I think that dictates to a certain extent, my almost my craving for salt. Mm. When I was racing Ironman triathlon, I would lay awake at night and I could feel my blood pounding in my ears after a day of training. And I started using salt heavily, and one of the first things that happens because salt regulates aldosterone, which is one of the compounds that regulates your blood pressure. All that went away. Like I could fall asleep at night. You know, when you lay your head down on your pillow, and I couldn't hear the blood pounding in my ears. So for about four years, I've just I've been salt on everything. Ton of it. I'm
0: salt. I got to wrap this up, yeah. unfortunately. That was all awesome, right. though. You're all the right. best. Dude, Let's thank go. you so much. It's always good to talk to you. You're, I don't know how the fuck you retain all this information, but I'm glad you do.
1: Thanks, man. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. It was a blast. Uh, give everybody your Instagram. Just uh, Google Ben Greenfield. I'm everything. There you go. All yeah. right. All thank right. you, brother. Cool. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, man. man.